House of Cards Chapter 59 is over, but we're just getting started here on the House of Cards post-show recap. And now here are the two guys who have spent the entire morning gluing together a bust of Thomas Jefferson. I'm Rob Sister, and here is Zach Brooks. Zach, how are you? I thought you were going to say that we were gluing uh, little army men onto our Both. diorama. Both. Yeah. We had a lot of model glue, and so <laughs> we are using it all up. Just coming in, cleaning up after uh, Frank Underwood. Frank with so much downtime now that he's not the president. Yeah, we are putting the pieces together Mm -hmm. that Frank Underwood is leaving out for us. This mystery that is House of Cards. And here we are getting ready to talk about Chapter 59, which we are about to discuss uh, that we have watched. Then we will stop down and come back after we watch Chapter 60. And then we will stop down once again and talk about Chapter 61 as uh, we are now, I guess, uh, what, halfway home here on the House of Cards Chapter 5 or Season 5? We've passed the halfway point. Oh, all right. So uh, here we are. And uh, a lot of fun stuff to get into in this podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes for all things postshow recaps. Or for just House of Cards, go to postshowrecaps.com slash HOC iTunes to subscribe. All right, Zach. So let's dive in here to sort of a, a bit of a bottle episode here in that we were dealing mostly with this one. One event where Claire Underwood receives word that there's been some sort of a uh, terrorist threat. They get moved to some underground bunker underneath the White House. Do we have any idea if this is a real thing? Oh, I'm sure that there's some sort of, you know, emergency bunker in the White House. Probably multiple different types of bunkers even. Who knows? Does this have a name? I think we just call it the bunker. The bunker. Yeah, go down there. The basement, you know, in the basement, the, the deep, uh, the deep state, you know, <laughs> that's something else. That's something else. Yeah. But <laughs> all right. I like all the rations there. I feel like that that would be uh, like I think I would be fine with some sort of like, you know, the disaster might freak me out. But in terms of just like uh, being holed up and it's like, oh, what's what else? Cup of soup. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, let me try this ration. Like, I feel that I would uh, do well in any sort of underground bunker situation. Yeah, I mean, have you ever had an MRE though? No, they're not good. No, they, I mean, I've only had like one. They're they're like made to be very high calorie, but they taste. Uh, at least the ones I've had are not very good. I think I could uh, get around it. I think I'd be good in that situation. Oh, Useless man, I, for anything else, but I think <laughs> I'd be good at like uh, dealing with the rations. Yeah, there. I mean, you know, you would probably do really well down there. You know, if we could get some cameras and do like a live feed of the bunker. <laughs> yeah, and. Uh, you know, big bunker. It'd be great. Big bunker. That's uh, okay. Uh, keep Tell that in mind. Summer. Yeah. yeah. All right. So uh, that's basically what we were dealing with. And uh, but again, much like uh, these other ICO threats that uh, have come up here in season five, uh, false alarm manufactured ICO threat. I mean, is ICO uh, really uh, that we have so many people in the U.S. government in House of Cards uh, doing like so much PR work for them? Yeah, I mean, they they don't even have to take any action. They just can have different things uh, happen and they can say, oh, yeah, that was us or, you know, have fake things come out. And um, ICO just they're real frauds. 
at least so far. Well, yeah, I don't know if they're necessarily doing anything to be fraudulent, but they keep, you know, there was a number of things that Frank and Claire ended up pinning on them and saying like, oh, that was Ico. Ico's up to their old tricks again. Trust me. You don't want to be out there on the street on election day today uh, with Ico really acting up. And so they kept like raising the terror alert index. Uh, I don't know. They, they don't still have that. That's a metaphorical uh, terror alert index. Uh, and then this was uh, the other way. Uh, this is where Mark Usher, I guess, uh, in cahoots with uh, some of these generals that are friends uh, with uh, the uh, VP candidate Brockhart. Uh, they were all working in cahoots to ultimately, what, get D.C. evacuated or... Was it that that they were more concerned about Frank and Claire were going to take out Alamadi and that they were going to try to stop them because they came up with this plot of if you do a missile strike on Alamadi, then you will ultimately uh, have a big political victory and that will be bad for the Conway regime. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's a little bit unclear what the what the goal of this was. Um, and I almost, you know, I wanted to watch the episode twice because I felt like maybe you could pick it up knowing that it was, you know, that it was uh, designed by the general and by by Brockhart and uh, by Mark Usher. But I think overall it was just to throw chaos into the Underwood administration, have a crisis that they have to deal with, have them not out there campaigning because they're underground at a bunker Um it, it also, you know, it's interesting because it did happen the day that Claire was supposed to announce the new Supreme Court justice that was Usher's guy that he chose. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, interesting timing to, to choose that day for this to go down. Well, why would they want to do that? Why would they want to throw off the announcement of the uh, Supreme Court justice that Mark Usher wants to see named the Supreme Court? I think so that the situation with uh, Hammerschmidt, like what happened there, where he's like, see, they're always coming up with something. They always have some trick up their sleeves. They're it's never honest elaborate with the American ruse. people. It is. It is. But it accomplishes multiple things with one uh, missing truck. Now, did you find this to be one of the more implausible things that a deadlocked 4-4 Supreme Court was a uh, real thing that, you know, every, everybody on both sides was very concerned about their like, oh, we can like the country can't operate if you have a deadlocked Supreme Court. That's really everybody was uh, like, we just for the good of the country, we just need to nominate somebody. Yeah, I've I mean, I think that, you know, there's lots of reasons alternate why. reality from our own. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know where they got the idea for a deadlock Supreme Court. And we don't really see much with any of the you know, we've seen Justice Jacobs way back in the day. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess this is his position that they're still trying to fill three seasons later. <laughs> yes. Uh, but that, but that's I feel that in the world of House of Cards, I'm not sure why there's more of it. Like, could you imagine like where in the real life world after uh, Justice Scalia passed away in 2016, uh, there was a, you know it was a big issue in the campaign, and ultimately that there was uh, a lot of people who felt like, hey, uh, you can't put up a new justice in an election year. Whoever wins the election should get to name their person here. We are in the midst of like this contested election. Uh, Claire Underwood is acting president, and we're, you know there's a big rush to acting president Underwood needs to name a Supreme Court justice. 
Yeah, I think the only reason why it's okay is because she's nominating somebody who's more conservative leaning. So the Republicans are not going to block that. And the Democrats probably aren't going to block somebody from their own party nominating the Supreme Court justice. Yeah, I guess so. so. I guess I guess that's why there's no outrage. And, you know, also nominating a Supreme Court justice is actually doing something, uh, unlike the Underwoods don't usually do anything uh, involving lawmaking. So I just I don't you know. get it from Mark Usher's perspective, where if the Usher side feels like, OK, Conway is going to be the president, then why not wait until he is in office and then he can put up the person that he wants? Why does he need to force Claire Underwood's hand and uh, put up somebody who's a compromise candidate for the Supreme Court? Like, what does that buy him? I mean, I guess it's just a backup plan in case Conway doesn't end up winning the election. He's still got his guy in there and his Supreme Court justice is nominated for life. So, you know, that's almost better. than. I mean, is Mark Usher such an ideologue that uh, that even if Conway doesn't become president, then at least he got a justice on the Supreme Court that he would that would have been better than whoever uh, Frank or Claire Underwood nominated? Hey, you know what? These guys just look out for each other, right? The the generals stick together. The <laughs> usher and his buddies all stick together. It's probably like an old college friend. You know, he's getting him on board. I think, you know, Usher's going to look out for his friends. He's going to clean up after his friends. So. Okay. All right. Well, we'll we'll go with that. Um, there was a lot in this episode about this new character, this woman who came to visit the White House, and her name is Jane. Uh, and could you tell me a little bit more about Jane and who she is? Uh, she seems to know Claire Underwood. But she seems she, to know a lot of people. She seems to know a lot of people. She's there, though, on, uh, per, you know, it's suspicious that she's there on this day. What do we know about Jane Davis? We don't know much. Um, we do know that she is the deputy under, I think, the secretary of foreign trade um, or, you know, some department that I had never even really heard of, um, but clearly has lots of ties to um, to some third parties who can help out with this ICO situation. And there's a lot more to her than than um, we're led on to. I think much like how Conway came in midway through last season and has become a regular on the show. I think we're going to see Jane Davis as a regular on the show now, too. Um, and, you know, I don't know if she's working uh, for the Underwood's best interest. I think that she's going to be it seems like she'll be working with Claire moving forward. Uh, but there's there's quite a bit to unpack with her. I noticed that the camera lingered on her a lot. Um, you know, there were shots where it would focus just on her. And for a brand new character, somebody who were seeing them for the first time, you know, there's there's some significance there. Um, also seems to have some sort of um, I don't know if it's claustrophobia or if she was hung over, but she needed <laughs> ibuprofen. And um, I don't think she was, she was hung shaking. over. Why'd she need ibuprofen? Uh, I don't know. I think there's more reasons to take a Advil than uh, if you have a hangover. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I don't know. It, it is Sunday morning, so maybe I was just projecting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so plan your flag on uh, the newly found Jane Davis. Good guy or bad guy? Bad guy. Bad guy. Yeah, I agree. I think bad that girl. she's up to something. She's up to something. I don't trust Jane Davis as far as I can throw her. Yeah. She does have very good control of her pulse, her and Doug Stamper both. Yeah. What was going on with her and Doug? I was feeling like, are we going to have some sort of a uh, hookup, a bunker mance? 
Oh, maybe. Or they, you know, they could have just gone upstairs and gone to the uh, press room. No. I hear that's where the magic happens. That is where the magic happens. And as you and I speculated, like, how is there no surveillance of (laughs) what's going on in there? We did see at the end of the episode, Frank Underwood does have photos of Yates uh, in a uh, compromising position with uh, the woman who was giving the tour of the White House. He doesn't say anything to Claire Underwood what is going on here? Is Frank Underwood waiting for the right time? Is he going to blackmail Yates? I mean, I think blackmail Yates is probably the most likely. I, I mean, it's not like what, what is he going to do? He's going to show it to Claire and she's not going to break up with Yates over this. I mean, she's not. I don't think so. They're not. I mean, she is in another relationship as well. Like she's not banging other people. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know. I think she gets. Her, you know, kind of her emotional needs met from Yates and, you know, they they're in it for different know, reasons. Emotional needs. I mean, uh, I mean, frankly, that uh, I feel like it's almost her physical needs that uh, the time that Yates wants to talk to her, she shuts him down. I think that's changing, though. I, I did used to be like that, but it's especially like this episode. We saw like some actual kind of emotional romance between them talking about each other, um, talking about worrying about each other. So. She's getting closer to him. Maybe this is going to be Frank's way to push Yates out a little bit so that he can get uh, a little bit more control over Claire. I don't know where he's going. I don't, it doesn't seem like this is going to really bear that much fruit. No, no, no. I Yates has to, uh, you know, meet his maker, I think. that, that there He knows too much. He's a loose end. He's out there being reckless. He's got to go. Yeah, the fate of Yates. Yates has to get rubbed out. Well, or something. Something like that. Yeah, maybe yeah. a different metaphor. Right. <laughs> yeah. But Yates, we need he needs to go. That that he's too dangerous and I think that we uh need to have something happen to Yates because he's just he's too all over the place. Frank needs to talk to Claire about this and not like in a jealous way. Like I could definitely see this if it would have come up at a different point in the series where her, her being like, "Oh, Frank, you're just jealous of what we have." But with everything going on right now, I think Claire has to know that this is also going to be a bad look for her. Yeah. I mean, Yates is he really is all over the place. I mean, he he's every episode. I feel like there's like the, um, you know, like Yates just being a total creepo. Like when he walks in on Leanne in this episode and he says, you sure you should be in here, Goldilocks? I thought they were going to have sex. Yeah, it did seem like there was some sexual tension there. It wouldn't surprise me if, I mean, you know, if if Yates and Leanne get together. And maybe, you know, we've we've done death death drafts and stuff before. You know, maybe we need to do like a bang draft and see, you know, who's going to hook up by the end of the season. Yeah, Yates is such a player. Yeah, he's all over the place. He is is all over the place. Okay. Yeah, literally. (laughs) So that could uh, we talk through uh, the the general in terms of uh, what's the fallout for this? Um, Well, the general did resign, Mm -hmm. um, and you know that that must have been a huge decision to resign. I mean, he didn't give up any names for who he was working with. Although you know he was working with Brockhart and Usher, probably. I really wanted Claire to tell him off at the end of the episode. I feel like compared to what Claire gave to Donald Blythe, uh, that guy really, uh, you know, got an easy one. Yeah. Um, yeah, he didn't he didn't get too much of a vitriol yet. And I'm sure we'll see this general again, too. Um, you know, whether it's this season or sometime in the future, House of Cards likes to bring characters back 
um, you know, as we see from time to time, like every episode, there's some character who's brought back from a previous season. So the fallout with this general, will that be tied into what Frank and Claire have in store for uh, vice presidential candidate Brockhart? Uh, what do you mean? So it seems as though Frank uh, has this clip of vice presidential candidate Brockhart speaking uh, about how he's going to tell people not to follow the president's orders. And sounds like that he is also saying that he wouldn't mind if anybody took a shot at the president. And yeah, then uh, we, we heard him play that clip a couple of times during the episode. They play it for uh, Mark Usher at the end of the episode as well, when Frank says, oh, Mark, it gets much better. So... What else does he have? Is he going to talk about this plot also? I don't think that this plot and the recording of um, of Brockhart go together. I mean, it's just both about Brockhart and Brockhart is Brockhart is clearly um, one of the big uh, liabilities in the Conway campaign. That and let's also not forget whatever this uh, military service that Conway had that we haven't really seen brought up for a few episodes. So. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a lot of areas of weakness for the Conway campaign and places where the Underwoods can exploit them. Um, and so I I don't know if they're just going to leak this recording out of Brockhart. I mean, that seems like the easiest way to to really damage them if they do this right before the election. Yeah. And as we saw, you know, really, uh, CNN has turned into, uh, they should call it HNN. It's really the Hammerschmidt News Network. Of It's just uh, real-time Hammerschmidt vlogging about everything that's going on. It says, forget Tennessee. It's all about Ohio, Ohio, Ohio. And that's going to decide this election. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking that, you know, Hammerschmidt's another likely guy to have uh, the podcast in the House of Cards world. Mm -hmm. You know, you could even call it like Ham Radio or Hammer Radio. Now, look, uh, Tom Hammerschmidt is over there on CNN. Uh, everybody knows, uh, that is fake news. I call them very fake news. Uh, don't believe anything you hear from Tom Hammerschmidt on the CNN. Yeah. And I mean, Tom Hammerschmidt just monologuing, just talking to himself like Colin Coward over here. Get a guest or somebody, you know, an expert. Like nobody no, wants to just, he just to does like five hours a night on CNN by himself. <laughs> uh, yeah, the best late night show, the Hammerschmidt Hour. <laughs> the Hammer. <laughs> All right, uh, oh, everybody, time. welcome back. <laughs> Hammer time. All right, uh, our top story: Frank Underwood. What's with this guy again? He's gonna stand <laughs> us up. Weren't we supposed to have a Supreme Court justice or something? I mean, uh, I take five hours out of my day of looking up dirt on this guy to do this show, and the least he can do is have a news conference. Yeah. I mean, you know, Frank has always got something up his sleeve. He's a dirty, dirty guy. And we're going to clean that dirt right off of him and show you what's under that skin. OK. How's Claire doing as acting president? I mean, I think she's doing fine. It is always just like you think about where Claire Underwood was in season one, that she was just running a nonprofit. And now she's president of the United States. Yeah, like, people didn't a want her to be ambassador to the U.N., yeah, not that long ago. And now she's got 30 percent of the country that likes her and yeah. she's acting president. Um, I mean, you know, I guess people can rise to the presidency pretty quickly yeah. uh, from all sorts of places. You never realize. 
Now, we didn't see a ton of friction between Frank and Claire in the episode uh, this time around, although the episode uh, did start with Frank and Claire getting into a big argument over, you know, who was seeing the big picture. Frank couldn't believe what Claire couldn't see. Um, and uh, Claire was saying, no, I gave Mark Usher my word. And Frank was like, I can't believe you're even bringing that into this conversation. This conversation is pointless. We didn't see a lot of overt tension between them besides that first scene. But, I mean, you can see it where Frank doesn't like that he's not the one who's getting the questions and he's trying to provide answers. And, um, you know, we saw the big blow up between him and the staff or Nora down in the bunker. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, there's definitely tension there and it's going to keep boiling over. It's part of why. I don't know if we're going to get the election just yet. I think they might keep delaying it a little bit um, because they want to keep building that tension between Frank and Claire. Um, although there, there's definitely going to be some tension if Claire has to turn over the power back to Frank. Are we going to see her not want to turn over those nuclear codes and, and some of those symbols of power to Frank? Yeah. Well, I don't think she has a choice on that. I don't think there's no, a- but she might not want to do it. And <laughs> Yeah. Let's just do a quick check-in on this. So uh, this is chapter 59. Uh, We still have 60, 61, 62, 63, 64, 65 in this season. So still six episodes left to go. Does the election happen before, I'll give you the over-under, episode 64 and a half? And there's 65 total episodes? Yes. Oh, it's going to happen before. I'd say before 64 and a half. Yeah. I would say probably like 63 or 64. I'm starting to feel less like we're going to get that situation where Conway is president and Claire is vice president, just because I feel like we're running out of time on that. Damn it. We're running out of time. Damn it. But <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think you're right. Um, also, you know, we've talked about edits before on this show. Conway is definitely not getting a winner's edit right now. He wasn't even in the episode. Yeah, yeah, we didn't see a lot of him, only from the uh, Mark Usher side of things. Because there's just, I mean, only six hours left of the show. Unless we have the election soon, you have to think that the show is not going to, uh, I I guess I'm assuming we're going to go into a season six of House of Cards. I mean, are we going to set up a season of the Conway White House with Claire as vice president and Frank Underwood in tow? I just think it would be interesting, but... I just I don't know. I don't know how that would work. It would be um, interesting now to get to that conclusion after six more episodes of this fight seems like uh, not the best use of our time. Yeah, it does feel like a letdown if after a season and a half of this campaign, it leads to essentially a tie. Like if we were doing that now, OK, that'd be good. But just to like drag this out for all these extra episodes only to get to, you know, what we could just yada yada to. It feels like if that's the way they were going, I feel like they could just do that. Yeah. I mean, when we do have a lot of loose ends still. We, you know, we have this Brockhart thing out there um, or, you know, most likely will be out there. Um, and we've got Conway's military history, which are still questions about that. I think we're going to get some sort of resolution there. Um, so we do have some things with the Conway crew, but, uh, you know, maybe that character's arc will be wrapping up by the end of the season. Um, and we, you know, we see Frank and Claire at the end on the series or the season finale feeling like they're in control, they're in power, they've won the presidency, but then we get 
you know, Hammer Schmidt's uncovered something or, you know, somebody's leaking something at the end of the season. And that's kind of our season ending cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just think if you were going to have Conway win, you could have done that when the House voted. And Frank Underwood talked about a coin flip in that monologue. I mean, was that a metaphorical coin flip? Is the coin flip really the election? Yeah, I wasn't sure if that actually I mean, we talked a lot about like that a coin flip could determine the election and how crazy that is. Um, and I thought he was, you know, it didn't seem like he was making a metaphor. It seemed like he literally meant that you can use a coin flip. Um, because when would that be triggered? I think because we keep having the you know, we kept having the House and the Senate vote. Uh, maybe that that was some of the the resolutions they were passing were to not go to a coin flip and to try to figure this out by a vote. Um, and then when they decided they're going to do the revote with Ohio and Tennessee, uh, the coin flip is off the table now. All right. So hopefully uh, one of our intrepid listeners can explain this to us and maybe we will see the uh, Chekhov's coin flip uh, coming up along the way. All right. So what about the specter of Ahmed Alabadi, where he has now been spared, potentially has gotten away out of Damascus? Is this sort of the other looming threat over this season? Do you think that Iko ultimately is up to something? I don't know. We haven't seen Ico actually do anything yet that we know of. Everything that, you know, this this was not Ico. That gas leak in Tennessee was not Ico. Yeah, they've done uh, nothing in season five. I mean, the only thing right. that they ever actually did is the uh, American Ico sympathizer. And that wasn't even necessarily them. Right. That was people acting on behalf of Ico. Homegrown Ico. Yeah, but we don't know. Yeah, but we don't know if, uh, you know, Ico, I don't think Ico instructed them to, you know, capture Jim Miller and his family and behead him. Yeah, we don't know. They, uh, I think they claimed responsibility for it, but yeah, we uh, don't quite know. So really, the only things they're doing are things that are real, but they could be working on something. I don't want to like uh, sell them short. Well, and we've also talked a lot about the theme in this show that Claire and Frank are actors and they just kind of put they're putting on this performance of being politicians and and many of the other characters in this show the same way that they're they're just acting in that role and they're not actually doing anything. Um, And so, you know, are we getting a continuation of that theme with Ico where they're this is kind of a performance to show this terror, to create the terror, but they're not actually doing anything? Yeah, well, I think that also. Part of the propaganda of a terrorist network is, you know, to instill that terror, not necessarily like what they did, but actually uh, if they can uh, paralyze people by fear and change policy by fear. I think that's part of a a part and parcel of not that I know anything about this, but I think that that is uh, also part of the propaganda. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, then that's probably what the show is trying to trying to say and trying to tell us. Okay, so I want to talk about Claire and Leanne because uh, that they've had a uh, rocky road of late. Uh, Leanne is, of course, uh, Claire's uh, right-hand advisor. We saw uh, Claire have some uh, choice words for Leanne, though, about uh, this whole situation with McAllen. Yeah, McAllen is a uh, loose end now, and it's creating lots of problems for them. Um, and it's become Claire's problem that McAllen is is with the Russians. Yes, and she blames Leanne for getting McAllen involved with this. Yeah, and now 
Um, Kathy is interested in McAllen and is asking about it. Although yeah, I don't think it's really fair to blame Leanne for McAllen because without McAllen, like he helped them with, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff in the election in terms of, um, you know, some of the hacking and getting messages out and, and all of like the, the Mr. Robot type stuff that mm-hmm. McAllen did. They couldn't have done that without him. So they kind of needed him. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Robotti, uh, is that a like a Laura Moretti? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, it's it's their uh, that's what they named their Roomba. <laughs> OK, so uh, Leanne also uh, she I think might have been feeling slighted by Claire when uh, she was not invited to go into the secret bunker. Yeah, I do think that there is something to who was invited to the bunker party and who wasn't. Um, you know, Yates wasn't invited down there. Leanne, Seth. You know, if whatever happened in D.C. happened, like they would all be gone. So we have Leanne and Yates uh, together in that scene in the bedroom. Do we think that there's a possibility that if Leanne is let go, if Leanne loses this power struggle, could she be the person to put out the information about Claire and Yates? Maybe. I don't think Leanne is going anywhere, though. Leanne is, you know, who who are they going to get to replace Leanne? Maybe the Jane Davis, I guess. But yeah, you know, Claire needs her Doug Stamper. Um, and I, I do think that was a really good choice by the show to add Claire's version of Doug Stamper to the show mm-hmm. uh, last season. I think, you know, I think Leanne is is come around as a as an interesting character that we're learning more about. So uh, I, don't, I don't think she's going anywhere. OK, so let's uh, talk about uh, some of the things that are in Doug's orbit. Of course, uh, Hammerschmidt is uh, seemingly getting closer and closer when he's not on CNN. He's talking to the landlord uh, that was uh, Rachel, that Doug was paying for Rachel's apartment, and he is getting uh, closer and closer to this. Is Rachel this big loose end that's going to bring down the Underwood administration? Yeah, I don't understand. I mean, like Rachel or, you know, I know we'll talk about the Moretti thing in a little bit, but like neither of them feel like these like bombshell things that they could uncover. I mean, I guess, you know, one clue leads to the next. So you uncover that Rachel knew Doug and then you uncover that Rachel was the uh, was the prostitute who was with Pete Russo, both when um when he had the he had the night when he got really drunk and then went on the radio and also the night that he got the DUI, Rachel was with him. So, you know, I guess you start uncovering, you know, pieces of, of information as you go and you kind of unspool that thread. But um, this doesn't seem like it's really going to pay off that well. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. But I do wonder, you know, uh, the show is called House of Cards. I wonder if ultimately that the ending of this show is brought about by one person sort of in that Tom Hammerschmidt linking together all of these horrible things that Frank Underwood was able to do, like this pile of bodies that has mounted since the first season between Pete Russo, between Zoe Barnes, Rachel, all these people that needed to be, uh, you know, pushed in front of the proverbial train. Is Hammerschmidt going to be the one person who's going to be able to just retell the story of what Frank Underwood uh, tried to do? Yeah, and I, I actually do really like that idea and, and that metaphor. And if you think about, you know, what would destroy a, a house of cards, what wouldn't be a hammer. pulling out a card from the top? Well, a hammer, yes, and take a hammer to the bottom of the house of cards. So if you each season is kind of building, you know, season one is that bottom layer of the house of cards and you've got Pete Rousseau, Zoe Barnes, Rachel down there. 
you pull one of those and the whole house of cards collapses versus you grab something from the top and it doesn't all shatter. Now, on the other side of things, you have Seth, who is investigating the whole uh, Laura and Anthony Moretti saga. Uh, We end up with Sean going to go and have a conversation with Laura Moretti, who then uh, relays that information to Doug as there. You would think that Doug wouldn't be watching the uh, Tom Hammerschmidt uh, CNN in his off time, right? Well, it's like opposition research. And Doug is a workaholic. He can't get away from any of this stuff. He's a lots of aholics. Um, so, you know, he's going to he's going to watch that. He's going to gather the information while Laura Moretti, you know, cooks whatever she was making. Yeah. Looked I, good. I wonder what that. Yeah. I think it looked like maybe a sauce of some sort, like pasta sauce. OK. Uh, and then we saw when Seth and Sean are having a conversation. So Sean wants to work in the White House. He works, wants a job. Yeah. Uh, you know, we talked about this early on in the season that the Seth and Sean tag team was going to keep growing throughout the season and keep evolving. Um, did you notice Seth sits like insanely close to the steering wheel? <laughs> I did not. I'll take a look if he's driving again. Yeah, he was like hovering over the steering wheel. Uh, and I don't know if it's just because he's really tall, but it. I don't, it didn't look comfortable. And it would have made me as the passenger, like if, if Seth was my Uber driver, I would just be like, oh my God, this guy is nuts. I don't want to be in his car. <laughs> uh, Doug is the best uh, Uber driver on the show by far. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, him or uh, season one, Pete Rousseau yeah. might be a good Uber driver as well. So where is this story going with Sean Jeffries? Uh, Sean Jeffries working his way into a position in the White House. I could see him getting in there and then ending up replacing Seth and turning on Seth. Student has become the teacher. Exactly. Yeah, it's the uh, the old Frank Underwood toolkit. I guess so. I don't. I can't see it going that specific direction. But I I don't know what they're doing with him. Yeah, I mean, like. Do you think there's a chance that he's still working for Hammerschmidt and he's a mole? I think we would see that. No, if he was I, I don't think that that's the case because uh, we saw him get fired by Hammerschmidt. It's like uh, I don't think that they're really, like giving us like uh, trying to dupe the audience with like a fake scene. Yeah. Well, I mean, he could have gotten fired. And then, you know, now he's now he's got a position in the White House and he's letting Hammerschmidt know that, you know, he could be very useful to him. He's going to feed information back. Yeah. Hammerschmidt's going to regret firing uh, Alshon Jeffries, I think. See, I, I feel that maybe uh, Sean Jeffrey uh, might be able to sort of feed some information back about what Hammerschmidt is doing. I feel like if Hammerschmidt is going to be stopped, I think that it's going to be part of what Sean Jeffrey's story is. So you think Sean Jeffries is uh, on the level now? Yeah, he so could. he's 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 on Team Underwood versus Team Hammerschmidt. Yeah, I think so. I mean that so much of Hammerschmidt's work has already been published, but if this is going to be the ultimate smoking gun, Sean Jeffrey at least knows about it, and he could sort of give them a heads up, and maybe they have to do something to stop Hammerschmidt. Yeah. You know, and maybe this, you know, they are looking into Laura Moretti, which is looking into things around Doug's secrets. So uh, maybe, you know, maybe they're going to try to force Doug out of the administration and then Seth and Sean will be the one and two for Frank. Mm-hmm. Anything's on the table. Uh, lots yeah. of twists and turns on Pennsylvania Avenue here in the world of House of Cards. <laughs> which is crazy because it's actually a very straight street. There's not um, really very many twists and turns on the actual Pennsylvania Avenue. OK, let's get into some of the questions from our listeners. You can email the show H. OC at postshowrecaps.com. All right, let's take our first question from Spencer Y, who describes this as a 24-esque 
filler slash bottle episode. And he says, after the previous episode set up that this episode was likely to be the special revote in Ohio and Tennessee to determine the presidency, were you guys deflated or frustrated that the dirty bomb subplot and bottle episode inside the bunker ate up the airtime and pushed back the election for at least one more episode? How do you guys feel about the sidetracking and wheel spinning, in my opinion, that permeated through this episode in the Frank and Claire storyline? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's a little frustrating that we're not getting to that election right away, but um, they are going to drag the election out. They're going to drag Claire being the president out a little bit. Uh, And we're just supposed to feel like the American public feels that, you know, they are spinning their wheels and, you know, we should be listening to Tom Hammerschmidt. Spencer Wyatt is kind of like Tom Hammerschmidt talking about how he doesn't like all of this filibustering (laughs) and and wheel spinning. Well, if the election is not in Chapter 60, then I don't think we're getting until the end of the season. Yeah, you're probably right. I just how do they delay? You know, do they have some other incident happen then again I, in I Ohio? Know. I think the frustrating thing for me is that it turned out that this was just another thing that it, it really wasn't Ico again. Like I was excited, like oh man, this is like really like uh, you know, there's all this stuff going on, and now they have this other situation that they have to deal with. But then when it came out that it was another sort of like a uh, blue herring, then yeah. uh, we found out. In this case, it would have been a red herring, and. It just like uh, was a little bit like, okay, what else you got? I didn't think that it was going to be Ico. Um, I don't know how the truck just gets lost. Like they don't have backup GPS um, and it was just parked. It was just randomly parked somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole thing. I mean, I guess it is a fishy situation no matter what, but um, <laughs> yeah. that was weird. Also, I don't know if this technically was a bottle episode because I think a bottle episode like has to take place the entire episode. Right. In one place. Right. Uh, that was not the case. Yeah. Like the like the famous Breaking Bad bottle episode is a good example. Fly, of that. Right. Um, Mar Barboa writes to us uh, for the first time to say, hey, Robin Zach, I uh, just want to say thank you for covering another season of House of Cards. It's been excellent as always. Are either of you a fan of parks and recreation? If so, how surprised were you to see Ron Swanson's first wife show up in this episode? Oh, I didn't even realize is does she play Nora? Is that um, is that who she was? I've only seen the first couple seasons of House of uh, Parks and Rec. Okay, uh, yeah, I've I've only seen I think through season three, so uh, it doesn't ring a bell for me. Or maybe she's Jane Davis. Yeah. Either way, both of those characters, I hope that we see more of them. I thought Nora was an interesting character. She had that blow up with Frank. You know, second best Nora I've seen on TV this week. So mm-hmm. keep it coming. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Don't call her Nora Cursed, all right? Uh, (laughs) And then also, uh, this is an interesting point from Mar. Have either of you noticed in the House of Cards universe how many lamps there are? My friend and I noticed this during the first season. Every room has at least five lamps slash light sources, and they're always turned on, even in the daytime. Trust me, once you've noticed it, you will not be able to unsee it. (laughs) That's a great observation. I've never noticed it. Um, And I mean, I feel like the White House probably has a lot of lamps. I mean, it's just like an aesthetic. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I'll keep an eye out for for lamps. I mean, maybe there's something there. We've talked about light and dark before as a theme. So uh, a lamp is literally light and dark. So now mm-hmm. look, I love lamps. Uh, I've <laughs> been saying for many years, I want all lamps in all, all, all around me. Yeah, I love lamp. <laughs> Okay. Uh, And then finally, Johnny D. Silvera said, uh, why did Leanne lie to Doug about where she was in the White House? What's her play? Uh, What's Yates going to do with that info? Um, When did did Leanne lie to Doug? She said she was in the Oval Office. She said she was, yeah, in the Oval and she was really in the bedroom. 
Yeah, maybe it's just a power thing where she can do whatever she wants. It was weird to watch Frank Underwood, not to take us totally off topic, but to watch Frank Underwood just walk around the empty White House all by himself um, when everybody was down in that bunker. So it is like you're not used to seeing the White House just like totally that open and free. Um, So, you know, Leanne was just taking a chance rolling around in Claire's bed, I guess. Okay, and then the other thing, and we didn't have a question on this, but uh, just to tie it back to where we opened this episode... What was the metaphor of Frank Underwood intentionally knocking over the Thomas Jefferson bust? Um, Yeah, I wasn't sure what that meant. And we also saw him walking by a Bill Clinton portrait, Mm -hmm. um, which was like a huge Bill Clinton portrait. So that was definitely there's something there as well. I mean, I guess it's just that, you know, Frank is creating chaos and making other people have to clean it up. Mm -hmm. Um, He's destroying legacy or history. Um, of American politics. I mean, I guess there's there's some of that there, unless you have some better idea. No, I mean, was it that uh, he has reverence for Bill Clinton? He didn't deface his photo. I mean, but there were other presidential photos in that hallway. But he was like, uh, Jefferson, you came up with this, uh, you know, cockamamie uh, electoral college or or whatever he's blaming Jefferson for, and is going to knock that over. Yeah, I mean that you made up this rule. Yeah, I wish I was more of a Jefferson expert. I uh, I can't tell you exactly what would be like the crowning achievement of Jefferson that he might be um, he might be going against. But um, I don't know what he also I don't know what he would do to deface the Bill Clinton post. I mean, like the Bill Clinton uh, portrait. What would he do to deface that? Like pee on it or something? On it? Yeah. 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 OK. Well, then they're going to be like, OK, well, we know who did this. <laughs> I guess they, they can't really punish Frank Underwood if he drew a mustache on uh, Bill Clinton. All right, Zach, what's the hashtag this week? So I got two written down. Uh, I have Big Bunker yep. or Hammer Time because we got Hammer Schmidt time. Uh, let's go with Big Bunker because I feel like that uh, there could be a lot of uh, MC Hammer fans out there using the uh, hashtag Hammer Time. Yeah. Well, and the Hammer Time hashtag really ties together the post-show recap cinematic universe between this podcast and the Seinfeld pod. So <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> it works very well. <laughs> All right. Uh, great job, Zach. Of course, uh, you could follow Zach on Twitter at BrooksZA. Let us know uh, what you're thinking. Although by the time you hear the next pieces, we will have already <laughs> recorded them. So for the future, for the future, uh, let us know. All right, Zach, before we get to Chapter 60, let's take a moment and thank our sponsor. And if you're listening to us, I have a sneaking suspicion you like prestige drama on demand. I'm going on a limb, and I'm going to say that. I mean, I like prestige drama. Peak TV, that's what they're calling it right now. Peak TV, and check out what's on Hulu. They've got originals like Handmaid's Tale, Harlots, Casual, and much more. Plus, you can watch full seasons of Fargo, Blackish, Empire, Fear of the Walking Dead, Nashville, exclusively on Hulu, but guess what else Hulu has now? Do you have a guess? Well, I have a couple ideas. You're going to guess hit movies? Because that's right. No, I wasn't going to say hit movies. I had no idea. I was going to say uh, Seinfeld. I watch Seinfeld, Seinfeld. every week on that's Hulu. Right. That's right. That's right. They have Golden Girls also. A lot of people watch Golden Girls on Hulu. But guess what else they have? Live TV. Get ready to transform the way you experience TV. Hulu with Live starts at $39.99 a month, which includes the limited commercial Hulu streaming plan, includes 50-plus live and on-demand channels, watch sports, includes ESPN, 
FS1 regional sports news. Uh, you could be watching uh, Tom Hammerschmidt every night if you lived in the Hammer House time. of Cards world. Yeah. Uh, other can't miss events. Uh, record live TV with cloud DVR. So enjoy all your TV in one place with the brand new Hulu experience. Go to Hulu.com to start your free trial today. All right. We are going to take a break. We are going to come back. Chapter 60 of House of Cards right after this. All right, we're back. Yes, here we are. Whoa. Zach, uh, chapter 60 of House of Cards. And uh, boy, that uh, what a night for the Underwoods. Fortune's yeah, rising. Yeah, I got my red robe on. Yeah, red robe's on. I'm ready to uh, burn some stuff and then yes. uh, talk to you about my legacy. Hail the fellowship. Hail the crow. Yay, Frank. I had to I had to check at the beginning of this episode. I was like, I thought I had clicked House of Cards and then about 30 seconds and I'm like, did I click Sense8 or some other like right. random sci-fi show? I yeah, did not what is realize, this? Like, right. Yeah, I, I think it's the same thing. I'm like, I don't think I'm right watching the right show. But uh, I said, OK, let me let me feel this out and see where it goes. I thought we were like maybe getting like a flashback to young Frank Underwood or uh, which we've talked about for uh, quite some time, the young Frank Underwood Chronicles. But uh, that being said, I feel like this was too easy. Mark Usher is now working for Frank and Claire. Well, Frank also thinks it's too easy and it did feel. I'm with Frank. Uh, very easy. This was too easy. Too easy. And I thought uh, they were counting their chickens and smoking their cigars before they hatched. I mean, Doug Stamper wants to be the first to congratulate Frank Underwood. We're like two weeks away from the election still. Yeah, this is weird. Yeah. What's with this guy from Polyhop, and uh, his name is Ben, right? And uh, yeah. Ben from Polyhop, is he supposed to be Mark Zuckerberg? Is that what we've uh, said about him? Yeah, Mark Zuckerberg, or Basically, uh, yeah. you know, maybe one of the Google guys. I think Polyhop is more like a Google than a Facebook. Okay, so whatever. He is the you know big tech Silicon Valley executive. Gets all drunk, gives the incriminating evidence to Frank Underwood, just like that. And then they've got two really incriminating things. Mark Usher is on board, is telling them how to play it. I don't know. I'm not buying this, Zach. Yeah, it, it doesn't even seem I mean, it is a pretty bad recording of Conway shows how unhinged he is, which we knew. Um, but yeah, Ben got all poly hopped up and just was giving everything away. Yeah, I know. It's really it's good on the surface. It's good. It's very good on the surface. But I'm very concerned about uh, what the future could hold with uh, Mark Usher and uh, some of these. And we got Tusk in the mix. It's just that uh, nothing comes this easy for Frank Underwood. No. And uh, we did have a line a couple times in this episode where people talked about making a mistake by making a deal. Um, ben said that making a deal with Tusk was a mistake. Claire was telling the Chinese that making deals with Petrov is a mistake. So is this foreshadowing that making these deals with Usher and uh, with some of these other guys is going to be a mistake for the Underwood administration? I don't know. I don't know. Is the mistake making a deal with them? Is the mistake not making a deal with them? I don't know. Frank is usually pretty guarded and he, he might have let his guard down here. Uh, although, you know, I'm kind of hoping that this was just the end of the election storyline. And as Tusk said, we can put this election out of its misery finally and yeah. uh, be moving on for our last, you know, five or six episodes of the season. 
to talk about other things and, and get some other get some other things in the works for the show. Here's my big question with the episode. The scene where Doug was on the phone with Frank. Frank is trying to get cell service and then he falls into the mud. He falls down. He drops his phone. He leaves his phone. What is Frank Underwood doing here? Well, A, he's using a BlackBerry still, which I don't think anybody uses a BlackBerry anymore. <laughs> okay. Uh, so that, that was the first thing I noticed. Gotta use a BlackBerry or Polyhop can hack you. That's true. Yeah, you don't use, want to use that Polyhop phone that's got the, the weird face of Tusk in it. You, you want to stay away from that. But, um, you know, I don't know. I thought maybe Frank had stepped in a, uh, in a bear trap at first. I wasn't sure why he just randomly fell. Uh, left his phone and then seems to have knocked a little bit of sense, at least he thinks, into himself. Yeah, but what is he doing? Why did he leave the phone there where anybody could find it? Didn't that seem weird to you? What did he say to us on camera? So Frank falls into the mud and then he talks about how it might be okay to have a little bit of restraint and then walks away leaving his phone in the woods. Um, I just assume that like somebody went back and got his phone, either Frank or the guy who was helping him to his car. Um, and it was also raining. So the phone's going to get destroyed by the water anyways. So, I mean, I, I don't think we're going to see that phone pay. You think it's going to pay off that like somebody's Frank Underwood's phone and they have all I, I don't his information. Know. It was that? like, I thought that maybe he was trying to get the secret service to come in and rescue him. And then everybody's going to see what was going on. It, it felt like that he was trying to get Doug to sort of like uh, be alarmed and uh, he was acting like he was up to something, but I don't know what all that was meant to be. Yeah, I think that he was realizing that Tusk is backing Brockhart and he needs to get Tusk on his side. So he was trying to get Doug to figure out how do we get Tusk back on our side and not be helping Brockhart anymore. Then he falls, you know, either literally or figuratively uh, has some idea rattle around in his head that he comes to. And uh, gets up with authority and, and realizes he can just leave his phone there for whatever reason. And then we go, we go over to, you know, to Ben's speech right after that. And that's when Frank starts talking, um, you know, kind of winning the room over at Ben's speech. Yeah. And so what is this that Polyhop is working on that they're going to upload people's consciousness to the net? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's just the Frank Underwood uh, House of Cards Black Mirror uh, crossover event that you've been waiting for. Yeah. You know, we talk a lot about black and white on this show, and we've got the black mirror of it all now. Yes, okay. Well, is this going to uh, pay dividends at some point? I don't think so. That was really out there. I mean, Ben said that Tusk wants to freeze himself, like Austin Powers, like, it's, you know, like, I, I don't know. I don't I don't think that we're going to get any payoff of like this weird sci fi stuff that is on the show. I, I mean, do you think that's how Frank is going to preserve his legacy by uploading it to the cloud? Uh, maybe maybe like the last shot of House of Cards is going to be Frank Underwood being frozen. Is that what they're doing in the Antarctic? Oh, yeah, that's you know, we are getting a lot of ice on this episode. Twenty eight degrees is the water temperature. That's enough to freeze somebody. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll talk about the whole uh, issue with uh, Russia and China uh, in the Antarctic in a little bit. So if this is a trap, if this is a trick, what are they walking into? I'm not sure. And, you know, it, it does seem like it's just it can't be this straightforward that they get this information and all this buildup over nearly, you know, season and a half of uh, of this election is going to be over because some damaging information comes across Frank's uh, desk, so to speak. 
Yeah. So, you know, they're going to release the information about Conway and maybe it will be revealed that, you know, that Frank was the one who released this and we've got maybe the maybe McAllen comes back into play with this and um, and and all the hacking that they've done with McAllen. Maybe it's that both Conway and Frank are so unpopular that uh, the whole state of Ohio I don't know, they don't vote or they can't, you know, again, they can't certify the votes and maybe, you know, we, we can get, cause they really, they want Brockhart to be the one in power anyways. They don't want Conway in power. Yeah. So, uh, maybe this is a plan to, you know, to knock Conway and Frank out of this mix and have it be a VP election. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see ultimately, I guess, in chapter 61, uh, where we're going to go with that. Did you like this episode that was set in sort of like this uh, skull and crossbones uh, type? uh, Is that that what it is? I I don't even add that again. That was the feel I got, like a secret society. Secret society type thing. I mean, were you buying this? Is there, do you feel like that this is based on a real thing? I mean, I have heard about the skull and crossbones and different kinds of secret societies, and uh, I'm not familiar with them. I've never been invited to anything like this, unfortunately. But I, I do like to think that there's these like backwoods, you know, we talk about backroom deals, backwoods deals, that we've got all these power players coming together for this mind meld. Uh, and I also really liked it because it shows that the voters in Ohio aren't the ones deciding this election. It's these, you know, 20 really rich guys. They're the ones who are really in power. They're the ones pulling the strings. And that's why Frank has to be there to get these guys on his side. Right. I mean, that is one of the uh, principal themes of House of Cards about democracy is an illusion and uh, things are decided by uh, the ultra powerful, not by the people, even though you want to give the perception that the people have a say in all of this. But I, I didn't really see any decisions being made. Like, I, I, I get the idea of let's go to this retreat. This is where all of the powerful people are. But like, I mean, did you see? And they kept saying, "No, no, don't, you, nobody's talking shop. Nobody's talking shop." But but it just seemed like uh, you know, uh, other than like everybody standing around Ben's phone at one point, like it didn't seem like that there was a lot of conversation about one way or the other. Yeah, no, it was kind of a uh, like a, it reminded me of like a gathering of the juggalos of the um, of all of these high powered political guys in the United States and. Um, I think Tusk is kind of the leader of this cult army, it seems like. Uh, Tusk and Usher both have a lot of power within this group. So they don't do much. Other than being frozen, do we know what Tusk wants here? Uh, Tusk wants to preserve his legacy, just like Frank, just like Claire, just like lots of the uh, main characters on this show. It's all about legacy on this show. Okay. Who has the legacy advantage, we have to ask at this point. Yeah, exactly. With the uh, final five episodes here uh, of the season, or I guess final six at this point. So perfect timing. And these guys get to, yeah, and, you know, another advantage, these guys are essentially stealing the vote. So there's (laughs) lots of through lines there. Yeah. Uh, I guess let's look at things uh, from the other side for Claire. And she ends up getting put into a precarious position where she's, uh, uh, would you say, is she being blackmailed by the Russians? I don't know if I would say blackmailed by the Russians. Has she been compromised by the Russians based on the fact that she is not doing what she would normally do because they have McAllen? Oh, definitely compromised by the Russians because of McAllen. And that's not a huge surprise. This is a big, loose thread for them. I don't know where Leanne is during all of this. Maybe she's off trying to get more information on McAllen. Mm -hmm. Um, But 
you know, Claire, Claire's gut tells her that she wants to go in there and save these people. She can't do it the way that she wants to. But she ends up coming out ahead on this, it seems like. I mean, she got the tariff raised to 20 percent and uh, got the people saved. So, yeah. What's going on with the Russian ship and the Chinese? What are they working on? Something that has to do with oil, because the technology, who was actually the scientist, he's a, a geoscientist for uh, for the oil companies. So, you know, I think they're working on some kind of big uh, discovery of oil reserves in in Antarctica or some alternative fuel or something that they're uh, they can get in Antarctica, whatever this resource is that everybody seems to be going after in this land. Is that what you took away from this, that that guy was in charge of the oil? Because when Jane says no, that missing guy is the technology. I was like, oh, is he like an, a robot? Is he an android? Like a did they, yeah. Did they build a, is that where President <laughs> Conway was? He needed to go check out the new RoboCop. No, I don't think so. I mean, we did get kind of sci-fi in this episode, but they called the guy's wife. I mean, unless there's like a there's a robot wife as well that, you know, they just have this whole robot family that they've created. I think he's um, he's probably an actual scientist. It's kind of um, I'm trying to remember what movie it was, but there's a movie where, you know, the weapon is actually the person. It's it's some, um, you know, maybe that was that was um, like Stranger Things might have had that aspect to Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. So. Yeah, strange things are happening for sure. Yeah, they certainly are. Uh, Jane Davis had a uh, big role to play in this episode. And uh, to me, again, I think that uh, I'm getting a bad vibe from her. She's a uh, uh, bad mojo, and I think that she is trouble. Yeah, she's definitely shady. And Mark Usher doesn't seem as shady as her, but um, I think they're both up to no good. Any chance you think that those two are working together and we get that reveal later on this Ooh, season? Uh, that seems like a stretch to me. I don't know. They both know people and they get things done. Yeah, but you can say that about like half the people on this show. Yeah, it's true. A lot of people uh, are GTD. Yeah. Yeah. What's GTD? Getting things done. Oh, I've never heard. I've never heard that acronym oh, for getting so things that, done. That mean, that's, uh, means you're not getting enough things done if you don't know GTD. I know. I need to get some more things done and learn my acronyms. I guess. <laughs> yeah, let's add that to the list. Um, yeah, Jane did say that she works with everybody, though. Um, I didn't necessarily uh, find that to be other people like on the other side of the political aisle. But in terms of if we found out that she's working with Russia, she's working with China. I mean, I think that uh, all of these things uh, would not be surprises. Yeah, no, I definitely think that she's working with Russia. I think that's the most likely situation here. Uh, Russia just seems to know a lot and she seems to know kind of what's going on from all sides. So either she's just very well informed and she likes to be in the know um, or she's you know, she does work on trade. So maybe this is all blend on some kind of economic policy with Russia. So they woke Claire up in the middle of the night to talk with Petrov and uh, they had a little bit of a Skype sesh and uh, they were talking. And uh, I thought it was weird that they had like identical MacBooks, uh, both uh, Claire and Petrov. Somebody's got to pay the bill on this show. So, <laughs> yeah. you know. And uh, Petrov got to make use of the uh, greatest invention of campaign 2016, the face changer. So you could see your face creepily morphed with a candidate. Is Petrov a face changer? Mm. I mean, I don't know. I've seen a couple seasons of Petrov, and I don't know what he's done to be considered a face changer. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's a different podcast uh, to get to get into that. Oh, uh, but but bad. it was almost like it was weird. It's like they have a thing where like you can make yourself look like Petrov, but he's like, uh, hold on, uh, let me share my screen with you. Okay, you you got this. Okay, watch this. Uh, see your face. Uh, see. Oh, look, you're turning into me. Uh-huh. You know, long way to go for that, Petrov. Yeah, he he really should have dropped like a we're not so different, you and I. And it really yeah, I think that would have like um, like allow me to use a visual aid, uh, <laughs> uh, acting President Underwood. Yeah, screen shares. It's all the rage now. <laughs> Polyhop now with screen sharing. Right. Uh, do you see? Is it sharing? Do you have it? Do you have my screen? Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, right, let me open this other window. Uh, you got this. Okay. He really should get two screens. I mean, if you're going to do all of this stuff, it's hard to do that all on one laptop. You need you need that second monitor so you can put things in different places. Yeah. That's what I say. Okay. So Claire and Kathy, there was some friction there about like uh, not really coming forward with why Claire didn't want to go in and save the people from the ship. Ultimately, Kathy does see through this. I mean, what's Kathy's ultimate role going to be in all this? I mean, she might be the one who takes them down or, or maybe she tries to take them down towards the end of the season or next season. Kathy knows a lot about what's going on. She knows about the McAllen stuff. You know, maybe she's the next leak that uh, they just kind of they don't treat Kathy that well. They just expect her to do what they want. And, and maybe she stands up for herself at some point in the future. And um, and we see Kathy make a big power play. Yeah. To what, though? Yeah, to take down the Underwood. She knows how bad they are. Mm-hmm. She knows where she knows where the bodies are buried here. What would she do? Like testify against them? Yeah, I mean that's kind of boring, but um, that could be what she does. You know, maybe maybe she works with whoever is trying to take them down. You know, I, I don't. I, you know, we talked about is Jane Davis working with Russia? I don't think Kathy would ever work with Russia. She seems like she would always be on Team America, but uh, who knows? Yeah. She's she's just too involved to not do something. She's pretty involved. Uh, to me, the person that I think is in the most danger right now, I, I think, is Doug. That it seems like, you know, uh, with the Hammerschmidt investigation clamping down, I also feel like that Doug is in danger with the president. Like, again, that cell phone conversation was weird. I felt like that it was weird, the conversation he had with Claire. Uh, during the episode where uh, he sort of like proved to her that he doesn't really value her like he values Frank. And I think that Frank also was kind of weirded out how Doug was like giving him those congratulations before they're so far away from the election. Yeah, I don't know why Doug is doing that, why he's just so eager to be the first one. You know, he's he is Frank's dog. He wants to be accepted by Frank. So he really wants to be the first one to offer him congratulations um, it might tie back to the beginning of the episode. We had the scene that you just talked about with with Doug and Claire where they're talking. And Doug definitely looks concerned about Claire that, you know, he wants Frank back in charge because Frank is his number one. And and, you know, no matter what he says, he does work for Frank. He doesn't work for Claire. Yeah. So, you know, maybe he wants to congratulate him because he's just like, oh, thank God. Now Frank is finally back in power and, and this nightmare is over. So do you think that Doug is in physical danger? Do you think that he is in danger of being arrested? Like, will Doug's demise come from inside the White House or outside the White House? I would say outside the White House. I don't think Claire is going after Doug. But I do think, you know, I think it's more likely we see Doug getting arrested than uh, we see Doug dying. I don't think they're going to kill off that character. 
Because, I mean, Hammerschmidt and what he's doing that, I mean, he's got now like the Zoe Barnes security camera footage. And I'm not sure if there's anything to see there. I remember Frank Underwood like ducked behind like a booth over there. I'm not sure if you could see him or make anything out on that footage. But it does seem like Hammerschmidt is going to be setting his sights higher than Doug. Yeah, but he's looking at footage from two days before Zoe Barnes was killed. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what he's looking for there. Maybe we see Doug uh, or Frank checking out that station before Zoe is there. And that's what he's going to get. I mean, I don't know what you would really get from two days before Zoe was pushed in front of the train. Let me throw this at you. Is Doug being set up by Frank Underwood to be the fall guy where they sort of like are able to pin him to Rachel? Could they also throw him under the train on Zoe Barnes? I remember Frank was wearing like a trench coat. You couldn't quite make out what he looked like. And he sort of had a disguise on there. Could they just say, oh, we had no idea. We had a serial killer in our midst. Uh, we do apologize about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure that's always a backup plan for Frank is that, you know, if anything ever goes down, like in case of emergency, break glass and throw Doug under the bus. Mm hmm. Yeah. So I think that that could potentially be uh, what's going on with uh, with Doug that, you know, he ends up being the person who takes the fall. Yeah. After everything he's given to Frank Underwood. And we saw that earlier in the season where he said, after everything I've done for you, Frank, you would question my loyalty. Well, what a way to prove loyalty. his loyalty. Yeah. Uh, Doug just has too many loose ends for this to end uh, so abruptly. I mean, he's got he's got all the stuff with Laura Moretti. I think there's still some stuff with him and Leanne. There's him and Seth. So um, he's got a lot of stuff going on. I think it would be uh, too early for him to meet his demise. Now, the other guy who I have a lot of concerns about right now is Yates. Uh, we've been talking about that. On the surface, it was a bounce back week for him as him and Claire have patched things up. He told Claire that he loves her. She said, I think I might love you too, which is uh, not that reassuring. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not exactly what you want to hear. I mean, from from you know the ever stoic Claire Underwood, that's probably good to even get that. I don't know if we've ever even heard her say that she loves uh, Frank Underwood. So, right. you, you know, you take that, it's like a, you know, take that as a, a semi win. It's like a six out of 10. But here is the really troubling thing for Yates. Uh, in the kitchen, he is drinking some water and <laughs> the Claire says to him uh, that tap water is going to kill you. And he said, uh, there are worse ways to go. I thought this was a very ominous line in this episode. Oh, yeah, I did, too. I think it's you know foreshadowing something bad happening to Yates. I don't know what would kill him about the tap water. I mean, it's not that bad. Right. But I definitely think that uh, Yates's death is very much in play. Yeah, I think so, too. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Yates also let on that. You know, his uh, his ex-wife, Karen, who he buried the lead that it was his ex-wife. He said it was his teacher uh, and that she taught him theology, among other things. Uh, she knows how much Yates loves Claire. So did he tell her about everything going on in the White House? And, you know, like this big secret about the Underwoods marriage has now been leaked to somebody else. Uh, yep. Yates is leaking. Yeah, he's the leaker. Just like that tap water. He's leaking. <laughs> tap water is leaking. Well, if you know, they if you need a, a plumber. Faucet, yeah, exactly. Right. Call a plumber. Okay. All right. What else from uh, this hour of House of Cards? I thought we had a couple running themes throughout this episode, and it's things that are running themes throughout the whole show. But 
Um, I think there was a lot of discussion about getting older and the clock running out, the future being uh, really soon. So, you know, we are, you know, I think we're, we're dealing with people who are getting older, including Frank and Tusk uh, and Usher. And, you know, they might be doing what they can to to preserve their legacy as they are uh, not going to have much more time on this earth, potentially. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, I thought that Frank also, in his speech to uh, all of the guys on the camping trip, when everybody was standing around looking at the phone and looking at what Polyhop was up to, I thought it was pretty basic what he was saying, and uh, it did seem to get a, a rousing ovation. Yeah, those guys were easily swayed. They were also swayed by, like, what could they even see on that phone? That's a tiny phone screen. There's like 20 guys all huddled around the screen. Um, and I guess that's a kind of a cool presentation. But if this Polyhop is this like big tech company, you would think that he would have some sort of projector or hologram or something that would really um, that, you know, it would really make the this statement instead of just the phone screen. Yeah, I mean, and whatever he's showing them, I mean, what is Frank Underwood even saying? Now, look, uh, this guy right here, uh, he's just showing you something on his phone. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a salesman. I'm selling you on the, on, uh, the future. Uh, give me a pile of dirt. Uh, that's better than a phone. Uh, wouldn't you say uh, dirt is better than a phone? And I was like, yes. <laughs> dirt. All right. <laughs> yes, yeah. here, here to dirt. Well, and, what? and he talked about dirt and we saw him fall in mud, too. So, um, you know, maybe that's where the, he got the idea for this speech, because this happened right after he did fall in the mud. Uh, and I, I did also really like that when Frank raises his drink, he says, I hear here to a peck of dirt. And then they all cheers him. Yes. And maybe that he doesn't mind getting his hands dirty. That, too. Yeah. Roll around in the dirt. Could be. All right. Uh, let's start to dig into some of our chapter 60 questions uh, from this episode. And let's start with uh, Spencer Y, who says the House of Cards version of the Illuminati is laughable. Uh, he says, was it just me or did those crow worshiping members of Elysian Field fail to mystify and intimidate as the mysterious and influential Illuminati of the House of Cards world? In what universe do the rich and powerful salesmen of our society slummit at an outdoor rainy retreat where Rocky Mountain oysters are part of the fine cuisine? Don't these rich and powerful men usually convene at eyes wide shut type parties surrounded by women and booze like what we've seen on shows like Mr. Robot and True Detective? Uh, should Raymond Tusk be fired as the meeting organizer? Again, uh, Spencer is the one disparaging the great Illuminati. Uh, anybody who listens to my podcast know that I uh, knows I'm very pro Illuminati. I think they get a bad rap, and things like this show uh, are really depicting them unfairly. I've always said. <laughs> Yeah, I, I didn't even make the connection to the Illuminati. And, um, you know, maybe maybe that is the connection. But I think that these guys, you know, this is tech guys. It's a, um, a TV executive and it's all these politicians. Maybe they wanted to get off the grid. There are these resorts that people will go uh, and visit where they are completely off the grid. There's no cell phone reception. There's no Wi-Fi. You know, it's a ever connected world where we're even connected through our thoughts and our memories Maybe just getting off the grid for a couple days or the illusion that you're getting off the grid uh, is is what they were going for here. Uh, and in terms of the Rocky Mountain Oysters, Frank Underwood said you got to grab life by the balls. And so he did that. He grabbed it by the balls and he was just snacking on a uh, on a Rocky Mountain Oyster. Yeah. He also said that uh, VP Brockhart didn't have a pair also. 
Yeah. Lots of discussion about balls and man. I mean, you know, manhood too. You know, this is an mm. all men's he man woman haters club or a, a no ma'am club that we that we get to watch in this episode. Okay. Uh, Spencer also wants to talk about the mysterious burning item at the end of the episode. What did Frank take out of the wooden box and burn inside the ashtray? It looked paper-like, so it wasn't the device that Benjamin Grant had given to Frank, which contained Conway's audio rant to the pilots. Unless I missed something early in the episode, or is this thing a callback from a previous episode? What do you speculate this item is, and why did Frank incinerate it? And uh, I thought it was something that was left over from the beginning uh, pagan ritual. Yeah, no, I think it was the I think it was a piece of ash, maybe, or something that he picked up um, and he burnt that at the end of the episode. So, I, you know, I don't know if this is him kind of burning any evidence that he was at this event. That's what it symbolizes. It was it was definitely kind of weird. It was hard to tell exactly what the point of whatever he was burning was. Um, I thought we were just going to get him smoking in there. Right. I mean, it does seem weird for the actual Frank Underwood to say, oh, let me pick up a piece of this uh, debris at this pagan ritual, because if I need to make a dramatic point later, this will be a perfect item to burn as I monologue to the camera. Well, I mean, you know, he's been burning things and monologuing earlier in the season, too. So, yes, I guess so. He knows. And we get him monologuing while he's smoking or making plans while he's smoking. So there is um, some of Frank having his plans uh, along with burning things. Do you think that fire is a theme, especially here in this season? It could be. Yeah. I mean, uh, we've seen it a couple times. I'd have to really go back and look at where we've seen fire and what it might represent. Okay. This is a, another question. This is from Scott, uh, who says, uh, Frank turned ushered his side by saying, but what is going to go unsaid in this conversation is that Claire and I are willing to do anything. And we know that you are no different. Is Usher also willing to kill to get what he wants? And is Usher agreeing to help them in admittance of guilt of something? Oh, I don't think it's an admittance of guilt. Uh, I don't think they were trying to threaten him with that. I think they were just trying to say, like, you know, we're the ones you want to work with. We're willing to do anything. I, I don't know if Conway and Brockhart are the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, I did wonder if we were getting a three trim part two there. Frank had his arm around Usher. In the they have a history. Yeah. I mean, you never know. Like, it's not the speech or it's not the press room, but, yeah. you know, it's, it's still a pretty hot place in the White House, probably. Wow. Um, again, uh, that's, uh, that, uh, people frown upon that, uh, any sort of funny business in the old office. Okay. That's true. Uh, if it ever leaks. Yes. And, 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 uh, you know, be careful with the, uh, the leakage. Scott also wants to know, do you think Jane Davis is going to be tied to Raymond Tusk? Uh, how about that? Yeah. What about Ooh. instead of Mark Davis, uh, a Tusk tie? Oh, I like that. Jane Davis and Tusk. Um, yeah, I could definitely see that happening. I think that's a that's a good prediction. Um, we do have a lot of these backroom power players who seem to control things without having any kind of, um, you know, big public facing office like Frank and Claire. So, you know, are Frank and Claire slowly becoming other people's puppets? Is that what we're starting to see? Uh, that's uh, certainly possible. Uh, but who is pulling the strings? Jane Davis? Raymond Tusk, Jane Davis, uh, oh. maybe somebody we, you know, maybe Too ben. off to the sidelines uh, for either of them. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, you know, we did see around this point in season one, um, we did start to, or maybe it was season, no, season two, we started to see Raymond Tusk show up and be uh, more of an important player. So, you know, House of Cards does introduce these people during the second half of the season that end up uh, having a very big role moving forward. And I think, you know, we're going to see Jane Davis every episode from here on out. Hmm. Okay. 
And then one more question from Johnny De Silvera, who says, uh, are you two getting the feeling that Frank and Claire being set up for a big fall? It just seems too obvious how easily things are coming together for them this season. The hot mic comments, Usher's apparently jumping ship. Is Usher being a double agent to help Conway and Brockhart? So are they going to let Usher in? And then Usher is really a mole? Oh, mole patrol. Mole patrol. Yeah, I mean, I, it does seem like it's too easy. We still got quite a few episodes left. So I would be, you know, I'd be surprised if we just have, you know, Frank and Claire have now won the election once the next episode starts. We have a lot of threats out there. Uh, I do think it's weird we haven't seen Conway now in two episodes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. RoboCop 2? Is that going? Is that filming? Probably. That's more likely than Suicide Squad 2. So, um, you know, Joel Kinnaman maybe is out filming some kind of uh, franchise that he's going to be in, but. I don't know. I mean, it's it's just weird to not see Conway for multiple episodes when he is the opponent for Frank. It makes me think there's no way he's going to win. Yep. Uh, he's really been taking a back seat here in these last couple episodes. Uh, somehow that even though he wasn't at the retreat and Mark Usher didn't want him to go, he also like was not campaigning. I guess that uh, him and Schmoopy uh, needed some time off. You would think that like, OK, well, let's just get through this election here in Ohio. But uh, they needed some R&R. Yeah, well, I think they said he was in Cleveland just briefly at the end of that news clip. Briefly. They said he was the only one who's been doing anything. But, um, you know, we're not seeing it and we're just hearing about it a a little bit. And there is only so much time, although uh, the last few episodes have been shorter. I think they've been like closer to 45 minutes. Yeah. So, um, you know, I don't don't know why we're not getting any edit on on uh, Mr. Conway. I don't know, not looking good for Team Conway. Uh, one other thing I liked from this episode, uh, I liked the backstory of that Mark Usher tried to work for Frank, but told Frank that he didn't have to pay him. And Frank said, I don't trust anybody who tries to work for free. So a uh, good note in terms of uh, people on House of Cards. Anytime somebody is trying to do something for free for somebody, we know that they're up to something. And probably good in terms of thinking about Jane Davis, who seems to have come out of nowhere, willing to do almost anything for Claire. And uh, it's not really asking for much. Yeah. Now, everybody's got a price on this show. So um, there, there's something going on with Usher. There's something going on with Jane Davis. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see where this is all headed. And I hope that we, you know, in the next few episodes, I hope we get a little bit more information about what's actually the plan is. And it's not just dropped on us, uh, you know, in the last episode or second to last episode. Okay. So we will find out what is going on. Uh, we are going to come back and do episode number 61, chapter 61 of House of Cards. All right. So what we got here is a quick promo about one of the other podcasts here on Podcast One, our podcast network home of post show recaps. And when we come back, we'll do chapter 61. Don't go anywhere, Zach. Oh, I will be right here. Uh, maybe I'll change out of the red robe for the next episode, but. Okay. Tobin, Kelsey Knight, and Jack Zanuck, and we are the Lady Gang, as in the Lady Gang podcast. And this summer, we have something extra special, not just celebrity interviews, but we are helping you Lady Gang your life slash get your together. What do we have coming up, Kelsey? Hormone expert, nutrition expert, fitness expert, sex expert, dermatologists, people shooting up your faces with syringes, telling us what it's all about. It's all the important things you need to Lady Gang your life. Every Tuesday on Podcast One and Apple Podcasts. And we're back, chapter 61. Whoa! 
We've been to Russia and we've been back. Oh my God, Zach. Uh, this, I, I have to say, I think of season five, this is now the most dense hour of House of Cards that we watched. Yeah, there was a lot going on. I was uh, frantically typing into my phone all of the things that were happening in this episode. I took eight pages of notes for this episode. I have probably five different things that we could start as the top story, but uh, we covered a lot of ground. Yeah, did you uh, did you type that up on your typewriter? Yes, I was typing on my typewriter the whole time. But uh, I guess we have to start with uh, congratulations, Frank Underwood uh, won re-election. And we can congratulate him again, too. <laughs> Congratulations, Mr. Underwood. Yeah, so what are we congratulating him for the second time? For oh. uh, getting some action? Yeah, well, Rollins, <laughs> I really love that Rollins congratulated him twice in this episode. He congratulates him down in the dark hallway and then uh, publicly congratulates him as well in the, yes. in the uh, more public hallway. Yes, so uh, high five for Frank Underwood. Uh, really a uh, big winner in uh, tonight's episode, except for that one thing about the commission starting back up. Uh, we'll have to see how he uh, puts an end to that. But uh, a lot of other stories in play here, including some uh, stuff going on with McAllen. I hope you could explain to me exactly uh, what happened there. A lot of palace drama between uh, Doug, between all of our Dougs, which are uh, <laughs> Doug and Mark and Leanne, and who's going to be staying, who's going, what's going on with Hammerschmidt as he is uh, closing in on Zoe Barnes, finds a burner phone, a Barnes burner. And so uh, lots to unpack, but I guess let's just talk about uh, all of the Frank stuff because that's the uh, most out in front. And Frank ultimately wins Ohio. The Republicans uh, don't come to the defense of Conway. And is this the last we're going to see of Conway, Zach? I really hope not. Uh, I like I like Conway. He's a great character, good actor. Great actor. Um, Big get for the show to have. Yeah, Robo Conway. This can't be the end of Robo Conway. I think it is. I think it's gonna be the end. I, like he, he, you know what? He'll like show up in next season. But I think that this yeah. is it. I, I felt that felt like a season wrap on Conway. Yeah, in in the episode where we saw the return of Kate Baldwin, uh, I think that we are gonna see Conway again, or or maybe we see Hannah Conway. Um, I noticed that her hair is now darker since hmm. the last time she was on our screen. So. Uh, she has more power or will have more power, you would assume. <laughs> I don't know. I think she probably was uh, shooting whatever else she's in and then came back for one more scene. But it, in terms of House of Cards, they do do a very good job of bringing back people. That, even if they're like gone for a season, that they'll bring back somebody from the first season and it's been like four seasons. So they do a pretty good job of uh, keeping track of people. So I suspect this is it for Conway here, but I wouldn't be surprised if like there's some new uh, political opponent of Frank Underwood and like Conway is like secretly like meeting with them or the vice president. So I think that we'll see uh, more Conway to come. So were you ex excited to see something on CNN besides Tom Hammerschmidt? Yeah, we got to see Van Jones announcing that yeah. this was the moment that Frank Underwood becomes president. Yes, the Constitution. Uh, really, in this CNN clip and the Morning Joe clip that we saw, in both cases, like the panel's takeaway was like, hey, look. A lot of crazy stuff happened. The Constitution was there, and the Constitution is going to constitution. Uh, just like, uh, <laughs> leave it to the Founding Fathers. They thought of everything. Uh, that was like the takeaway from uh, the Morning Joe clip as well. 
Yeah, this is uh, Frank Underwood won. No matter how he did it, he never loses. He's president. So uh, let's move on with the rest of today's news. Okay, moving on with today's news. Uh, Mark Usher is going to be very much a part of the Underwood administration. And uh, Doug is not happy about this. I could not tell what Doug was putting out there as a direct order from Frank and what Doug is doing in terms of freelancing in this episode. Yeah, uh, much like in the first episode of the season, the audience isn't quite clued in on what the whole plan is until later on in the episode. Um, But I think everything that Doug was doing, you know, even when he said like all the stuff with leaking about Leanne and saying that um, that he wanted to go behind, you know, to keep the president not involved in this. That was all part of this setup. So it really looks like uh, Leanne was working on her own. Uh, to the McAllen would buy this and, and give away his location and they could pick him up. Well, at the end of the episode, we had Frank and Claire and uh, they were talking about how it's so hard to know who they can trust. And they both look at the camera and there was uh, some interesting uh, fourth wall breaking in this episode, uh, not just in the inauguration speech, but also in the uh, cabinet meeting at the start of the episode. And uh, we're left with a question. I think that this is very intentional. I don't know who we're supposed to be trusting right now out of Doug and Leanne and Seth and who has the Underwood's uh, best interests in mind. Yeah. Um, and Jane Davis and, uh, and Usher. Mark Usher. Yeah. And Yates and Rollins. I mean, we have a lot of people who have access to the Underwoods right now. Um, and I do think we're set up in a situation where I think the Underwoods are going to end up being on team Jane Davis and team Mark Usher. Uh, I think, you know, the arrow is not pointing up for Doug for me moving forward. And, you know, I think this is going to be a mistake. We we talked about in the last episode, a mistake to trust Mark Usher. Uh, I definitely think that Jane Davis is shady and, and they're working with people that they, you know, they don't know these people that well. Right. Uh, and is this going to be a big problem for Frank and Claire moving forward? And they're going to end up giving their loyalty to the wrong group of people. Well, I was frustrated with Frank in not giving the concession to Romero. It, it really felt like, OK, this was an easy enough thing to do. And Romero wanted it. And you were working with Mark Usher. And, you know, I'm all about, you know, uh, working uh, across the aisle and trying to get stuff done. And what did Frank Underwood do? He burned him. He burned Romero. And uh, now he's going to reopen the investigation. And to me, this seems like a self-inflicted wound. I don't understand why Frank just didn't give him what he wanted. Yeah, and he wouldn't have even had to reach across the aisle. Romero is in Frank's political party. Right, but so, a different faction of the same political party. Yeah, he's like the, the millennial faction. Of right, this it's the NWO red and the NWO white. <laughs> yeah, exactly, the wolf pack. Yes. <laughs> wolf pack versus Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, I agree. I thought he was going to do that, but that's really not Frank Underwood's style. He's not going to submit to anybody else's will. And, you know, he makes reference Will to Conway. Times. Yeah, he's definitely not submitting to Will Conway. Yeah. Well, how's that working out for you, Frank Underwood? I mean, uh, yeah, you're president, but yeah. I don't know. He's president. He's got potentially eight more years, eight more seasons. We're going to be talking about this as uh, House of Cards season, whatever, this, you know, season 12, season 13. Well, we were debating uh, whether or not he was going to be able to run for office again. And that was a question that we had posed out there. And I think that uh, Johnny DeSilvera was on the case. But it sounds like that. Nope. He can run for reelection again. Yeah. And again and again. Right. Um, you know, Frank will get what he wants. He never loses. So, um, 
you know, or so he says. Yeah, I think and, eventually he's going to lose. Yeah, it, something something has to come up. I, I'm curious how, you know, eventually I've talked about this a lot, but like when they do end the show and we don't even know at this point if there is going to be another season of this show. Netflix has been canceling other shows. I I'm curious if viewership for House of Cards this season is down. Uh, I know I've talked to some friends that used to watch it and none of them watch it anymore. Um, we definitely have listeners that still that still listen to this and interact with us. But uh, I wonder if the general public that used to be really in on House of General Cards, Brockhart. General Brockhart, General Brockhart Public. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've talked about this from the beginning of the season of uh, one that in the era that uh, House of Cards first premiere, uh, there were uh, very few prestige dramas available for you on platforms uh, like Netflix. And now here we are just four years later and you, there is just a you, there. There's no way to even potentially watch everything. So you have so many more options. And then the, with the uh, political fatigue, with twenty four seven politics elsewhere, you know how interested are people in the uh, House of Cards world? The thing with Netflix is that we'll just never know. We'll never know what the ratings are. It'll either just be renewed or canceled. Ironically, the uh, Netflix rating system is really akin to the thumbs up or thumbs down that they ask you to do on the <laughs> Netflix. Maybe that holds a lot more power than we realize. Oh, so yeah, well, I should be thumbs upping the show then, so that yeah. we can get renewed for another season of podcasting. Right, House of All Cards right. got eighty uh, percent thumbs up, so we're renewing it. Yeah. All right, everybody listening, go thumbs up the uh, the show so that the podcast can get renewed. Yes, uh, we really. I mean, we don't know how this season five is going to conclude, but uh, it could go in any number of different uh, directions. But uh, that being said, I guess. Uh, Let's uh, talk about uh, the cabinet here, where uh, I thought Kathy was resigning for real, and it turns out everybody submitted their resignation letter, and then uh, Frank just brought them all back. Yeah, that was awesome. That was a great. There were a couple really good fakeouts in this episode, um, and that was that was one that I really liked. I was like, "Oh man, Kathy's resigning," and then everybody's signing papers. I'm like, "Wait, is he is he making the entire cabinet resigning?" And my head goes through like all of these different iterations. Where is he just getting rid of of his cabinet completely? Is that where we're headed? And then, oh no, it's a fake out. He just was welcoming them all back to the new cabinet, Cabinet 2.0. Yeah, I thought that she was going to want out and Frank's going to say, uh, request denied. You're all still working here. But I guess that's what you have to do when you uh, reset the cabinet. Yeah, I mean, you know, somebody who knows more about the process than we do can probably tell us if that's what happens. I've never heard of that happening before, but they're they're remodeling the kitchen and we got an all new cabinet. OK, there you go. All right. So. We have a lot, again, there's there's so much stuff uh, going on in this episode that this is really one of the tougher episodes uh, for, for me to recap. Um, let's just go chronologically because uh, that's the only way I can keep track of everything that's going on in this episode. Yeah, that's uh, a good point. We had the return of Kate Baldwin. And, of course, uh, you look uh, very excited to uh, see uh, some more uh, Kate Baldwin, right? Yeah, it took me a couple scenes to realize who she was. I knew she looked familiar, and I wrote down, you know, some descriptions about Kim what Dickens, she was doing uh, of the great Fear the Walking Dead. This is like uh, Kim Dickens' week on post show recaps. Oh yeah, see, of course you knew who she was because of the Fear the Walking Dead. Yeah, I, I, uh, I knew she looked familiar, but I couldn't remember exactly who she was. Uh, until a little bit later on in the episode. Usually with House of Cards, when uh, they bring somebody back that's been off for a little bit, they do a good job of uh, introducing that person, dropping their name somewhere into the script, but uh, mm -hmm. not for a few scenes with Kate Baldwin. 
No, uh, I don't really understand what's going on here. So uh, talk to me about this plan. We see her first meeting up with Leanne. So Leanne sends Kate Baldwin to Russia to go and interview McCallan. And I always thought that McCallan was sort of being held captive against his will. He sort of was like a uh, honored guest of the Russian people. Yeah, I mean, I think he was a But prisoner. he couldn't leave, right. Yeah, like they wouldn't give him But they treated him well. Back. Right. Yeah. It, uh, it was like a Beauty and the Beast situation. Yes. You know, he gets to stay in the castle, gets to stay in the palace. But, uh, you know, Petrov is a real beast. Yeah, trust me, McAllen. Uh, you can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. <laughs> yeah. The, the hotel uh, Cal, Cal Conway. <laughs> right. <laughs> so they uh, were sending Kim Dickens there to go and interview uh, with McCall and I'll call her by her character name, Kate Baldwin. And uh, so she had to uh, go out there. But this was all a trick so that they could what get like the uh, U.S. Special Forces to grab him. Yeah. So the whole point here was to bait McCallan into contacting Leanne uh, somehow so that they could they could they were tapping the phones and they were able to figure out using GPS where exactly he was tapping uh, whose phone the him. kid that they sent up there. No, I think they were tapping Leanne's phone. There was a guy behind Leanne typing out what he was saying or, do, or doing something with headphones on. Um, and they, I think they had a rough idea where he was and they were able to um, completely figure out where he was, where they were hiding him out. And they could pick up McAllen uh, and take him to their safe house. But what so about Petrov? Like, I mean, Petrov wasn't there. Um, I don't Does know. Does he why know Petrov about this? I mean, if this feels like it's going to be an international incident, no? Yeah, I think Petrov is we're going to see some fallout from this in the next episode, I would imagine. Um, although it's it's weird because I I didn't think the general public knew that McAllen was with the Russian. I, mean, I don't think the general public knows who McAllen is. He doesn't seem like he has the notoriety like Edward Snowden does, where people know, you know, they, I don't think people know Aiden McAllen's name. So I'm not sure why Kate Baldwin is even setting up an interview with him in the first place. I really don't. I don't know. Uh, this whole part was kind of confusing for me. And then how much were the Underwoods briefed on all of this? They knew everything that was going on? Yeah, I think so. I think this is, you know, they, they knew um, all about McCallan. I, I wouldn't be surprised if this was Frank's plan. You know, he came up with this. And um, now they have McCallan. It seems like, you know, this problem on their end might be solved. But, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see what ends up happening with this. I'm sure Petrov is not going to be happy when he finds out that McCallan is gone. Earlier in the episode, uh, this was when uh, Doug was expressing how unhappy he was that Mark Usher was going to be coming on. He's talking with Frank and Claire. And, uh, you know, Frank says to Doug, uh, uh, look, don't worry about Mark Usher. Uh, the three of us, we're going to be able to uh, accomplish a lot. And Doug says, Mark Usher, he's going to become a problem. And I thought this was a really interesting line that Frank Underwood says, well, Doug, eventually everybody becomes a problem. And I thought that that's sort of like the, uh, th you know, uh, thematically an important idea for this series. Yeah, definitely. Especially this season. I feel like we're, we're having a lot of old problems coming back. And uh, yeah, everybody is going to become a problem for Frank until he takes care of them once they outlive their usefulness. But poor Kate Baldwin. I sent her all the way out to Russia. She gets nothing. Yeah. She doesn't get anything. She doesn't get her interview. She, you know, I don't know if she realizes that she was used as part of this plan. And uh, we don't even know if Kate Baldwin is going to get returned back to the United States. Like, what if Petrov just takes Kate Baldwin as his new hostage? I will keep Kate Baldwin now. 
That's probably a good trade for the Underwoods. Kate Baldwin doesn't know anything. <laughs> yeah, she's not a big part of this uh, show anymore. And she's a former flame of Yates. So I guess that that's probably uh, a good idea for uh, for Claire. But it, like, uh, was that the move the whole time that uh, Kate Baldwin was supposed to say to McAllen, hey, Leanne is thinking about you, and that was going to get him to call her? Yeah, um, I think, you know, I don't I don't think there was like a secret code or anything that they had, you know, like they had like a safe word where if if he McAllen hears this, he should call uh, he should call Leanne. But I think Leanne knows McAllen well enough. And we do get a little bit of uh, tease into the Leanne and and McAllen backstory that they've known each other for a very long time. So, you know, we might get more of that here. Mm-hmm. But, um, they, you know, she knew McAllen well enough to know that McAllen is going to react this way and uh, he's going to trade his watch for a cell phone so they can call her. Yeah. Um, was that like an Apple watch or something? What was so great about that watch? I mean, it looks like a nice watch. I, the kid gave up his phone very easily. I don't know if I, I, you know, I might be like, you can borrow my phone, but you can't keep it. Mm-hmm. But the kid took the watch and walked away. So, um, I mean, hopefully McAllen doesn't hack into that kid's life. Yeah. Zach, tell me about where does Jane Davis factor into all of this? It seemed like that she was in on this plan. Yes. So Jane Davis, I think, was kind of the one who implemented everything. She has these contacts overseas. Um, You know, it would have been cool if we could have seen some of the planning of this um, with Jane Davis and with the Underwoods and Doug to figure out exactly how they were going to solve this McAllen problem. But um, yeah, Jane Davis played an integral role. Um, and you know, she's still giving them suggestions for how they should handle it saying, you know, their fingerprints are not on this at all. And, uh, she's just not to be trusted. She's, they've given her a lot of access very quickly. Yeah. I mean, she's right in there. I mean, uh, there was an awkward conversation between her and Claire where, uh, we ended up with, uh, saying like, uh, do you think the president will agree with our agenda? And uh, uh, Claire was like, oh, that's very presumptive of you to, uh, you know, go ahead and say that uh, this is our agenda. Yeah. And she references that Tom Yates has quite a reputation, too. So I wonder if she's hinting that she knows about what's going on between Tom and Claire. Um, yeah, yeah, she's she's up to no good. Um, she also mentions that she's interested in Almaty. So yes. you know, we get we get Almaty mentioned once again. We haven't heard much about Ico in the last few episodes. Mm-hmm. So. You know, are we are we getting set up for the next uh, the next episode or the episode after that to get a little bit more ICO going on? <sighs> yeah, um, but Jane Davis uh, seems like a key cog here, but I'm still very interested in uh, having a scene with Frank Underwood and Jane Davis. Yeah, uh, and you know, another thing that is something that she mentioned in this episode is she said that something terrible always happens whenever she goes to a party. Right, right. Uh, like a political party? Well, and that's, I mean, it could mean, you know, whenever she picks a side for a political party, something bad happens or just that she's bad luck at the party. And, you know, like I said, she was hung over in that one episode. So we know she likes to party. Well, I thought that the really intriguing line from her conversation with Claire was uh, when she said, well, yeah, Tom Yates, uh, he popped in and, and then you're like, OK, I'll see you tomorrow. Uh, and she says, well, you know, Tom Yates has quite the reputation. And yep. Claire was like, what kind of reputation? And Jane Davis says, my father wore striped socks. Did I hear that correctly? Uh, I don't have that written down, <laughs> but uh, I was trying to I was trying to transcribe everything going on. So um, striped socks, no good. Uh, I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. 
I, I have a lot of Argyle socks. Those are pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, great, but uh, it seems like Jane Davis uh, knew a little more than she was leading on there but in terms of Yates. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, you know, she's... I think she knows what she's doing. She's got a plan. We just aren't really privy exactly to what what it is. But she is um, she's definitely pretty shady. We saw Frank working on his inauguration speech and uh, he ends up talking with uh, Tim. And, uh, you know, again, where this is going in this episode, ultimately, we end up with uh, some uh, funny business happening with Frank and Tim. Uh, I feel like that we sort of uh, saw this one uh, coming around the corner. Yeah, you called this a couple episodes ago, and I I wasn't sure. if I can spot when, uh, you know, uh, Frank Underwood has the hots for somebody. Yeah, you know how to you know how to have some good like six cents for the shipping, right? And you know, I famously called the three chum before it happened, and uh, that was really uh, you know um, more out of the blue. But this one uh, seemed like it was a little bit more of a, a you know a, a inevitability. Yeah, you know, I think that they they shared some intimate moments even before this, and uh, Mr. Rollins had an idea that that Frank might be interested in him, and yeah. Um, <laughs> they, they had a. It probably was. He probably had his life flashing before his eyes down in that. Uh, sure. That back stairwell. Sure. But, uh, well, like, <laughs> you know, the danger is only uh, making things more exciting. We'll we'll get to that. We'll get to that. I don't want to do that just yet. Um, but they're working on Frank's speech, and the theme of Frank's speech is, "I hear you. I hear all of you." And the only thing, uh, you know, that's scary is not uh, having your voice heard in these uncertain times. What do you think about thematically that being the focal point of Frank's speech? I mean, he wants to unify the country. He wants to let people know that uh, he is listening. And, you know, maybe he's listening thanks to McAllen's help and mm-hmm. uh, Polly Hop. And An NSA type tie in. Yeah, he's actually listening. But. You know, he also talks a little bit about history and time and asks about what his great grandfather would think. So it's the time uh, to hear all the voices. Yeah. Time hears all. Time hears all. Okay. So we'll catch up with uh, Kate and Yates. And uh, I got the sense that Yates was trying to signal to Kate Baldwin there's something going on between him and the first lady. Yeah. I think uh, Kate maybe wanted to rekindle Kate's. Um, yes. And. Uh, Yates is saying, no, thank you. I am I am a spoken for at this time. Not for anything. But did Yates like does he have some sort of a endless supply of like the love potion number nine? Why is it that every single person that he interacts with on the show has romantic interest with him? He's got the Kavorka. He's got the Kavorka easily. You know, there's like eight different characters that want to be romantically entangled with Yates. And again, he's not a bad looking guy. He's he fine. No, he's he, he uh, looks tired in a non sexy way these days, though. Yeah. So uh, he's a hard worker, though. Mm. <laughs> working. He's working eight days a week. He said like the song. Yes, I guess uh, just like that. But uh, interesting to see him and Yates uh, paired back together. Um, but Yates also, he wants out of the White House. Um, and again, this is going to be a night where Frank Underwood's going to confront him on uh, the uh, infidelity allegations or photos, uh, not so much allegations. But uh, he wants out, but they, need, they don't really have a good reason for him to be there. 
Yeah, they're going to have to think of some reason. They're going to have to give him some sort of role that will allow him to be there because uh, Claire does still seems like Claire still really cares about him. And um, especially if he doesn't, you know, if he's trying to distance himself, you know, Claire's not going to want to lose that kind of control over him. So she's going to fight back, you would think, you know, mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, I don't know what he's going to do. He's a, you know, former political speech writer. Maybe he's going to go start his own podcast now. Oh, is that going to be a good idea? Yeah, I mean, I hear that's a great spot for former speechwriters to to land and just start a whole podcast network talking about everything going on in politics. Okay, uh, so uh, Pod Yates America is that what they're yeah, gonna? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, that, that sounds a little too close to Pod Hates America. Okay, oh, they could. Yeah, his political opponents could easily uh, switch things around. If that, if you ever did like an anti Frank Underwood podcast, Pod Yates America would be a great. Okay, can you explain what did Romero uncover about the fifteen thousand dollars at the Capitol Grill? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure what that was. I guess Womack spent fifteen thousand dollars he wasn't supposed to at the Capitol Grill, which is a Capitol Grill is actually a place on Pennsylvania Avenue. Uh, I've biked past it many times. I've never been there, but it looks like a fancy steakhouse. They have big lions on the outside. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if. If uh, congressmen actually do eat there, although mm-hmm. fifteen thousand dollars is that's quite a bit of money to spend. It's a lot. So, yeah, it's uh, so maybe, you know, maybe it was that he's like maybe he actually embezzled this money. Uh, it seems like not that serious of an allegation to just say that he like overspent or like, through, you know, through some party for fifteen thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. OK, and I guess it's like misappropriating funds. Not good. I want to talk about the Frank Underwood inauguration because they uh, shot it in a very interesting way. We uh, got to see Frank uh, giving his speech, but then mostly uh, spent time talking to us, uh, breaking the fourth wall. Not the first time Frank broke the fourth wall. Earlier in the episode, when he was having his cabinet meeting, he ends up talking about how Claire ends up uh, owing him a lot. And he talks about how she owes him more than he owes her. And she looks at him and is like, not true. Uh, and again, I think they keep faking us out this season with Claire Underwood uh, talking to us. Yeah, um, the, I thought that was another really great part of this episode. I mean, that whole scene with the cabinet had a lot of fun, um, fun tricks that they did with the camera. And uh, yeah, I don't I don't think Claire actually broke the fourth wall, but um, they definitely filmed it in a way that made you think that she was breaking the fourth wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Frank ultimately uh, gives us this uh, whole big uh, moment and uh, it has the House of Cards theme happening. You were telling me before we came on that you thought that was the end of the episode. Yeah, I wasn't really looking at my watch and um, it seemed like, all right, we're here in the music. So maybe this is the end of the episode. And then, uh, no, I was like only halfway through. Yeah. And um, who do you think had a uh, bigger crowd size at their inauguration, uh, Frank Underwood or President Walker? Oh, man. Um, I mean, Frank Underwood had millions of people, it looked to me. So, <laughs> like, uh, I, trust me, uh, this was a much uh, bigger crowd than uh, than Walker had. Uh, I can assure you of that. Make no mistake. Yeah, we did hear some very loud cheers for Frank when he was giving that speech. Now, Frank talks about how power is a lot like real estate. And uh, he didn't finish the thought. Uh, do we just assume it's uh, location, 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 whoever sits closest to him? Those are the people that have the power? Yeah, I mean, that could be what he was getting at. That is what he said during the first uh, inauguration in the first episode as well. Was uh, It was all about where people were Mm-hmm. So, uh, so continuing that thought. Yeah, well, that and, you know, it's about amassing as much land as you can. So amassing as much power and uh, people on your side as you can. 
Now, Frank Underwood uh, was supposed to, you know, give a shout out to Medicaid uh, for Romero. Instead, he says we need to fix entitlements, and uh, we actually had the return of America Works. Yeah, everything is coming back this season. <laughs> we need more America Works. Uh, stop with Social Security. That's enough of that. It's time to get America back to work. If we only could have heard you were entitled to nothing one more time. That you was are one of entitled our, to nothing. One of our favorite catchphrases a few seasons back. Yeah. Claire wears all white both to the inauguration and to the uh, party at the inaugural ball. Uh, what do you make of that? Oh, I saw a lot of color things throughout this episode, but, um, it, you know, I was I was wondering, is Claire in a less powerful position? I mean, she did just lose the presidency that she had for the last few episodes. So I guess, you know, if you look at it from that light, she definitely has less power. Although, you know, the Underwoods as a whole, they have complete control of the White House now. So they, you know, they they have their dynasty all set up. They've got, you know, hotels on Dynasty Avenue all set up to collect from the American people. Also, from a clothing and uh, metaphorical sense, Frank Underwood can't find the F cufflink. Uh, did that mean anything to you? I think it was just a, from a fun, you know, like fun. He can't find oh, he's F. no fun, so that's yeah. why he can't find the F. <laughs> yeah, no funs. It wasn't that he was going to uh, get his F on uh, when he went back down the cellar. Oh, maybe. Um, and you know, the, those were, uh, gifts to him from Meacham back in the day too. Oh. So call back to, call back to Mr. Meacham. A call back to that. Yeah. So maybe he was looking for uh, a new, uh, right hand man. Yeah. Okay. Uh, a, a reenactor reenacting Meacham with him. Reenacting Meacham. <laughs> so ultimately, uh, Frank and his personal trainer, Eric, I think I called him Tim before, uh, that I like to call, can I call him Eric the actor? Oh, I like Eric the actor. That's good. Yes, that's what he prefers to be called. <laughs> or Eric we, could the call actor. Him, we could call him Tim and Eric. So shout out to that old uh, adult swim show. <laughs> that's just going to confuse people uh, more. So Eric the actor, uh, that he ends up uh, going uh, going uh, down with Frank, right? Yeah, going down to the dark cellar. Yeah, it's down there. And so he tries to be the sexual aggressor with Frank Underwood. He's sort of like reading the tea leaves. Frank Underwood uh, gets mad, and uh, we see Eric uh, recoil instantly. But uh, Frank Underwood is like, uh, what exactly do you think you're doing? It's like, I made a mistake. I made a terrible mistake, sir. And Frank Underwood grabs him by the throat. Yeah, uh, you know, a very personal personal training session in that back mm-hmm. session. Uh, he says, you never know how you feel about a person until you have your hands around their throat. And I feel like there was a scene where uh, Frank Underwood grabbed Zoe Barnes by the throat, too. I'm not, I'm not remembering it for sure, but it strikes a bell. Like I, I, We've seen him in this position before with his hand around somebody's throat. Well, going back to the first season, we've also heard uh, Frank Underwood say that sex is about power. And so uh, certainly going back to his uh, roots here, this seems like a bad idea on a number of different levels. Yeah, this is another person that the Underwoods are giving access to that. How much do they really know about this guy? I mean, he's an actor. So, you know, what what kind of role is he playing? I don't know what Frank thinks this is going to get for him. I'm not sure. Ultimately, at the end of the episode, Frank is going to call for a car for him. I thought they were going to like maybe bump him off. 
Yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, Frank is just showing his power over Eric. He's saying, yep, all right, you leave when I tell you to. Uh, okay. You come when I tell you to. Uh, Eric, I called you an Uber. You'll be leaving <laughs> now. Uh, I would prefer if you did not spend the night. Yeah, I have an early morning tomorrow. Yes. Uh, Doug, the Uber driver, will take you that he is uh, one of the top-rated Uber drivers uh, in all of Washington, D.C. Yeah, he's got to keep that Uber score up because I, don't, I think Doug's days might be numbered. Please be sure and give Doug a five-star review in the app if that is possible, Eric. <laughs> he's got mints. He's got <laughs> bottled water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we ultimately are going to get to the interview with McAllen. Well, I mean, again, I don't even understand why is McAllen sitting down for an interview here? Like, what is he getting out of this? Just like, that, that his first freedom? Yeah, I guess maybe he thinks that this is his chance to like spill the beans about what happened. Um, the the whole interview thing just kind of was sprung upon us. I, I think in order to keep this plan a secret. Uh, we're not really privy to why they're having the interview, who's going to be watching this interview. Like, what's the point of uh, of even having this interview? Yeah, it just seems like that they're trying to get something out there that looks bad about America. And Petrov wants it to happen. Yet it's seemingly like uh, they let uh, him walk off never to be seen again. Yeah. Um, well, and we'll see the fallout from that. But he's he was a valuable hostage that they had. I don't think. Uh, he doesn't even have his passport either. So mm-hmm. I, don't know, I don't think he's going to get very far. Right. Um, uh, what did you think of the scene of Leanne and uh, McAllen on the phone? McAllen seemed pretty resigned to his fate. Yeah. I think he was just asking to be put in a prison in Texas, it seems like. So a prison really likes, in Texas. He really likes Texas. Yeah. He should have never left Texas. He likes uh, with the dust uh, when you, when you uh, squint. Uh, I get the sense that uh, McAllen is never going to be seen or heard from again. I don't think he's going to Texas. Yeah, he might not. The, uh, like I got the sense those were sort of like uh, last words. Yeah, I, I'd like to get more of McAllen if somehow um, you know somehow McAllen can escape. Um, and I do kind of have a, a theory about maybe something that could happen, although it's, it might be oh. kind of far fetched. What do you think? So I think, you know, at the end of the episode, Frank and Claire are talking about Leanne and her usefulness. Has it run out? Um, so are they going to try to take a hit out on Leanne and kill Leanne? And maybe it goes wrong and Leanne somehow can escape and, you know, maybe get, I don't know, somehow get in touch with McAllen and, and help McAllen escape. That The McAllen escaping part is the part that's more far-fetched. I think, you know, I could see a, an assassination attempt on Leanne that uh, goes awry. Who's going to assassinate Leanne? Doug? Or Doug, Doug's going to call for it? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, Agent Green, I don't know, somebody working on the behalf of the Underwoods. It seems like uh, she has outlived her usefulness, but I think there's still more story to tell with Leanne. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Leanne situation is uh, really interesting. I, that For me, I just feel like there's so many people that they work with that have screwed up. W- was Leanne's screw-up so big that that they can't forgive her. I, I don't know why the move isn't keep Leanne close. I feel like that she has a lot of dirt on them. Why make an enemy out of her? Agree, She's why been make very an effective outside of that she brought in McAllen. And McAllen was effective. McAllen, you know, got them, um, you know, some of that hacking stuff from the end of the last season that they needed. So, you know, it's not like this was a complete failure. It's just she lost control of McAllen towards the end. Yeah. 
So to me, I just don't get why everybody just has turned their back on Leanne so quickly. I mean, how many times did Doug uh, screw up and come back where ultimately they like, okay, Doug, we'll look the other way on this. Promise us this is the last time you're going to make a mistake. Uh, right? You're not going to make a mistake again now, Doug, right? And I mean, we have Mark Usher working in the White House. We, we don't have room for Leanne. I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense. I do think that, you know, we've got, We've got Leanne and Doug who used to occupy the roles that seem to be getting taken by Mark Usher and Jane Davis. Um, and, you know, that's why I think the arrow's pointing down for Doug. I'm, I think somehow, you know, either he's going to get pushed out uh, by Usher or by Frank, but things are not looking good. Get pushed for out Doug. a window. Well, I don't think he'll get pushed out a window. Maybe pushed out to a train track. <laughs> now, Doug, uh, watch out. That window uh, can open up without warning. Be careful, Doug. <laughs> yeah, it's like an airplane, it'll just suck you right out. Now, hold on. Go back to uh, getting pushed in front of a train. Hammerschmidt watches the Zoe Barnes tape. And, uh, I mean, Doug wasn't down the subway that night, was he? No, it's that wasn't Doug. It was just a case of mistaken identity, but uh, we'll go with that. Th- that'll play. It was Doug. Either that or I was thinking maybe, you know, when we saw Frank Underwood push Zoe Barnes, he was wearing a hat. Was the top of his hat like a painting of a bald head? And so, you know, it looks like from above where the cameras are, if anybody saw it, they would think it's Doug Stamper, but it was actually Frank. That's good. So that's sort of like the bathing suit that's out now of like the uh, the woman's one piece bathing suit. that's like a guy's hairy chest that there's like a hat that's like an airbrushed bald head. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, you know, it it was this show is ahead of its time so much. You know, I I find it hard to believe that they really wrote this show way back in uh, early fall of last year. (laughs) <laughs> They're so on top of everything. Yeah. You, man, you, you really used to have a lot more hair, huh? Yeah. Oh, uh, well, that uh, it's amazing what can happen to a man uh, when you're stressed. Uh, oh, wait, look. Uh, no, I was just wearing this bald hat. What's that over there? Yeah. Push him. <laughs> uh, we saw Frank sitting down, staring at the painting, uh, much like he used to do way back when with Walker. Was Frank just like uh, feeling nostalgic? Yeah, just contemplating, um, you know, he is now in Walker's position. He's the the newly elected president. So, you know, maybe he's feeling like, you know, he, he made reference to the fact that everybody's coming after you once you're in power. And now you know, he's in the position where Walker was. And are there Frank Underwoods who are going to try to make moves against him? Uh, and maybe that's why he didn't want to play ball with Romero, because he sees him as as kind of a, a Frank Underwood junior. I know, but they're making it like that Frank Underwood hasn't already been the president for the last two seasons before this. Yeah, I, you know, and I got a lot during his breaking of the fourth wall when he was taking the oath that he feels this is different. This time, you know, he didn't rise up through being, um, you know, through being the vice president and taking over after impeachment. This is Frank Underwood has been elected president. This is the beginning of Frank Underwood's actual reign uh, as president and, you know, potentially eight year reign as president. So, um, I, I think he feels that this is different, even though he kind of cheated in the election, but you know, he, he, you know, ignore that little detail. He won this election and he is now president. 
One of the things I really loved in this episode was the moment where Eric, the actor, and Tom Yates were uh, so like, "Oh, what do you do here? Like, oh, what do you do here? Like, oh yeah, I'm the uh, I'm the love interest of uh, the president. Like, oh, I'm the love interest of the vice president. That's weird. Yeah, <laughs> small world. Yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, we work for them. And uh, that at that point, uh, Doug is like, uh, "Okay, time for you to go home, Eric. That's it. You've had enough." It's very, very early morning tomorrow, which I'm sure Frank Underwood has an early morning every day. Yeah. Um, and probably that early morning is waking up to work out with Eric Rollins. He, they haven't worked out together in a while. Not for in a while, but yeah. uh, he, I mean, technically he probably got some cardio in. Yeah, it's true. He got that the heart rate up at the very good least. Workout. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, Mr. Underwood, now we're going to do some throat squeezes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, squats. Uh, easy, 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 easy. Um, it's just their workout routine. Yes. Okay. Uh, let's uh, talk about Frank and Yates uh, because this is where Frank confronts Yates about uh, really Yates, the tour guide, WTF. <laughs> Yeah, that was you know we knew that was going to come into come into play at some point. So um, and actually, I've misplaced my F. So really, just W T Yates. Oh, it's true. W T Yates. That mm-hmm. is a uh, that's a good hashtag potentially. Yes. Um, Frank was uh, kind of being a little flip about it. It's like, uh, uh, really, oh, and what am I supposed to do about the tall guy? And then Yates is like, well, she is very good at her job. I'm not joking around here, Yates. <laughs> yeah, and then he, he delivered the classic line of, uh, Tom, don't cheat on my wife. <laughs> don't cheat on my wife. Uh, one of the greatest uh, TV lines ever written. Yeah, that, that is just like a, a mind F uh, or just a mind maybe. Yes. I mean, what happens with this now? Does Frank tell Claire about it? I don't think so. Um, You know, maybe he uses it to get Yates to do things that he wants him to do. I mean, him and Yates used to be very close back in the day. Um, Yates was writing the the biography about Frank Underwood and they did share some tender moments. So sure. um, Maybe we start seeing more of Frank and Yates being uh, a little bit closer and working together. Oh, I, I mean, I can't feel like that we're headed in that direction. I mean, you never know. I think I think that you know Yates is has going to serve some purpose on this show. I don't think he's done. So, uh, I mean, well, what else is Frank going to do with you know these pictures? What is he going to fire the tour guide? She's good at her job. I, well, I think he's going to. The risk is when he shows them to Claire. What's she going to do? Yeah, but he to, then he tells Yates not to cheat on his wife because he knows how much his wife loves Yates or thinks mm-hmm. she might love Yates. Right. I wonder if Frank Underwood uh, knows that uh, how much Claire likes having Yates around, doesn't want to ruin that thing for her. But if he's going to be so stupid that he's going to make her mad, that's going to piss off Frank Underwood. Like the whole point of him allowing this relationship was that he feels like, okay, Claire is my running mate. I need her head in the game. If this guy is providing some sort of a sounding board for her, that's great. Fine. Uh, I need her at her, you know, uh, tip top shape in a way he is her personal trainer. But once like, uh, she starts to become like, uh, you know, her energy ends up being sucked into being angry with him, then that's it for Yates. Yeah. So he's just trying to scare him a little bit and, you know, make sure he he knows what his what his role is. And, um, you know, we have seen I feel like over the season we have seen Yates being increasingly more uh, sloppy with his work. He's just kind of, you know, 
going up to Claire in public and and saying some weird things. I mean, you know, he needs to remember that people aren't supposed to know about him and Claire. So he needs to, you know, clean up his act a little bit. That's right. That's right. And I, I do really like the comparison of Yates being Claire's personal trainer and Rollins being Frank's personal trainer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. To a degree, to a degree. <laughs> One of the other things we see in the episode is that uh, Hammerschmidt is presented a burner phone from Zoe Barnes's dad. What is the potential liability there? I mean, I got to think a lot, right? There's going to be a lot of in- potentially incriminating evidence, calls to Frank Underwood, texts. I mean, um, this, yeah, this was is the that what's on there? Yeah. yeah this Frank Underwood texts on there? Oh, I'm sure. I mean, did, um, you know, I think it's something I'm surprised Frank didn't think about this after Zoe Barnes was killed, like getting this burner phone, just hanging mm-hmm. out there. Yeah. So uh, that's not great. Yeah, no, that that could be a smoking gun. Yeah. Do we think that Frank Underwood was using a burner phone himself? Um, I, maybe he might have been using that uh, that Blackberry that he left in the woods in the last episode. Who knows? Hmm. Is that possible? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like if we went back and rewatched season one, we would probably see a little bit about these burner phones. I, I do remember him giving her one. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what what he was using, though. Okay. All right. So we'll see ultimately uh, what happens. I, I know on Hunted that uh, the burner phones really uh, still ended up messing people up. Yeah. No, I mean, they're probably still very trackable. Uh, yeah. Although it might be hard to charge that thing. If there's no charger in there, I don't know where you're going to find a charger for that phone. Yeah. Then we got the last scene with Frank and Claire talking about how they don't know who they can trust and looking at. Uh, so I guess who can we trust? Who do we trust here? Let's have a trust draft. Oh, we could the uh, trust cluster. Yes. Okay. Here we go. Trust clusters. Uh, let's talk Doug on a uh, like how many bars of uh, of of the burner phone Wi-Fi uh, do you want to give uh, Doug? Are, you tr- are we trusting Doug or no? Oh yeah, I, th- I think so. I think Doug's made some mistakes, but he's loyal. He's the dog. Um, he's what, what is the highest? Like four bars five, of Wi-Fi? Five bars. Five, five bars. bars of Wi-Fi. Yeah, I would give Doug five. Mm, I think that he's a little overextended. I'll, I'll uh, put him down to four. Uh, Leanne, how much are we trusting Leanne? Well, before this episode, she would have been right up there. I think, you know, the people who have been with them the longest are the people they can trust. But, um, you know, she's on a leave of absence. Doug tells her, you know, they'll let you know if they need you. She knows her days might be numbered. So uh, you know, I'm going to put her down at like a three. Yeah, I think three is a safe number. I think that they could have trusted her, but now they've like put her in a corner. Yeah, we're we're not getting Leanne's character just wiped off that easily. Um, whether we just don't hear from her for a little bit or what, she'll be back. Mark Usher, how much are we trusting Mark Usher? Uh, I'm going to give him a two only because I'm saving the one for somebody else. Okay. Can't trust Mark Usher. I think that that's a, that's a problem. But he does seem to at least have the like mutually aligned interests. I think I'll give him a two as well. Jane Davis. Yeah, that's that's my candidate for the one. I have no trust in her. Yeah, she's sketchy. Right now, uh, she's just acting very sketchy. Uh, just to mix it up, I'll give her a two. Uh, and then what about Yates? Uh, I trust Yates. I think he's just acting. I mean, he even said he he did that because he didn't think anybody would care, uh, you know, when he when he uh, had sex with the tour guide and went on the tour. So I would say you know, he's probably like a three. Also, I don't I don't I think he's kind of stupid and sloppy. I don't think he would intentionally be untrustworthy. Yeah. 
Was Yates drinking in the past? Um, yeah, we've seen him have a drink here and yeah. there. I don't think I don't think he has any uh, alcoholism background. Okay. All right, and I'll give Yates a uh, a two. I, I think he's getting getting sloppy too. What about Seth? Seth. Um, wait, where is Seth? What is he doing? Uh, <laughs> like, like I don't even know what Seth's motivation is this season. Uh, like, he's taking orders from Doug, but he doesn't like Doug. Uh, I will say that Seth gets a three. He's a survivalist. Yeah, he's been calling. You know, we did see him calling Sean Jeffries in this episode too. Yeah, where's Sean um, Jeffries? Just, yeah, I, I, you don't know. He was um, doesn't work at the Herald anymore. We did get confirmation about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I'm surprised Seth didn't know that. Like this, that was happened weeks ago or episodes ago. Like I'm surprised that he's still calling the Herald to try to get a hold of him. Um, you know, and Seth is leaking some stuff out, but it was the things he was supposed to be leaking out. So. Um, you know, I'll give Seth a four. I think he will be good with Frank Underwood. It's I a just, good grade. I think that grade. he's, uh, yeah, I think he's going to be working against Doug. So, okay, all right. Uh, any other thoughts from Chapter sixty one before we get into some emails? Yeah, I got a couple other things. Uh, towards the end of the episode, Claire tells Doug that he looks good, and then he, she asks him why he wasn't at the beheading of Jim Miller. Oh yeah. So I believe he was with Laura Moretti at the time, and I think this was Claire's way of hinting to Doug that uh, that she knows about this Laura Moretti thing, and that was a power move. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, yeah, I, fe- I felt not great about Doug after that interaction. Okay. A- anything else? Uh, yeah, and we also saw a couple people uh, in clothing that I think represented uh, some symbolism. We had Doug in a very light suit. Throughout most of the episode, um, especially there was a scene where Usher was in a dark suit, Frank's in a dark suit, and and Doug is in like a light gray suit, which just really like caught my eye because I just don't feel like you see people in that light of suits on this show. Yeah, Doug so. did have a light suit. I yeah. liked it. Yeah, and then we also saw Usher in this bright yellow like Dick Tracy jacket at the inauguration. Yeah, uh, stuck out like a sore thumb. What does that mean? Yellow caution. I think it just means he like doesn't belong there. You know, mm-hmm. everybody else is in muted colors and he's sticking out. Um, and also, uh, and I don't, I, we might have a question about this. Um, did you think that he broke the fourth wall, that Mark Usher broke the fourth wall? Oh, where? So at the end of Frank uh, giving his oath, they pan out and you see Mark Usher in the crowd and he waves. It doesn't look like he's waving to anybody except the camera. Mm, might just be awkward. I mean, it was definitely weird. I don't. It was something. He was waving at somebody. I. I don't know if they would have ushered break the fourth wall. That'd be very strange to have that character do it. But uh, maybe he's just. You know, maybe it's just to show that he's aware that this is something Frank does, and he knows what's going on with Frank. Yeah. All right, let's get into some questions. Uh, let's start with Spencer Y. I got a few different questions today. Uh, I want to talk about Doug and his unhappiness with Mark Usher. Why is Doug so apprehensive about Mark Usher? Does he feel like Mark will steer Frank in the wrong direction, or is he just jealous he's no longer Frank's sole confident? When Usher swapped inauguration ball tickets with Romero and made the bad promise about the Medicare line Frank speech, I thought that Usher was two-timing Frank. But when Usher gave Frank the heads up about Romero's plan to reconvene the investigation committee again, it looked like Mark Usher redeemed himself and is loyal to Frank. Uh, that's a fair point. Yeah. I mean, you know, Mark Usher did go against his party um, and, you know, helped Frank win the election. So, you know, Usher is probably more loyal to himself than he is over anybody else. Um, but I just think he's he's got some endgame in, in mind. I don't... I don't know exactly where it's headed, but I don't think that he and Frank are going to be a long-term team. 
Yeah. I don't really get the comparison. Like, so the, the, the Mark Usher, this is going to be like real life. Okay. So Mark Usher is sort of like, uh, just to like use real people and fill this in. So Mark Usher is like a Karl Rove type figure. And this would be like if Barack Obama appointed Karl Rove to a position in the cabinet. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't or like have a, a cabinet. special advisor. Right. Yeah, he, he's like a special advisor. Um, and, you know, I, Frank Underwood seems to have a, a good reasoning for this. He's trying to reach across the aisle and unite the country. Uh, and that was what he said to Conway on the phone when he offered him the secretary of transportation position. I mean, I feel like that Mark Usher is a shady guy, but I does feel like that it would be productive for the country now. Yeah, well, and Mark Usher tried to work on Frank's campaign way back in the day. So it seems like Mark Usher might kind of flip back and forth between what party he's in. Right. Yeah, I do feel like that the people who are like the uh, the real players in the game, uh, probably not really ideologues. Uh, they're, you know, they just like uh, they could flip sides and it wouldn't matter. Yeah, and we've seen that over and over again in this show. I think that's, that's you know, these are just actors playing roles to get power. Yeah. Okay, uh, this is uh, a couple of questions here from uh, Scott S., who uh, said, one, did Will Conway miss his chance to undercut Frank by not accepting a cabinet appointment? Uh, I, I loved it when Frank gave him, like, uh, I was thinking you'd be a good uh, transportation secretary. <laughs> yeah, keep America moving. Uh, not for I anything, think considering a- that he's, like, threatening pilots. I don't know necessarily if I would put him in transportation. Oh, he could remodel the whole the whole airline industry yes. as secretary of transportation. Anybody gets to fly this plane. America flies. Yes. OK. Anybody can fly the plane. Uh, then also, uh, I think this is a little caddy from uh, Scott who asks, is Eric in shape enough to be a personal trainer? I'm not <laughs> seeing a Beachbody endorsement in his future if he can survive the curse befalling Frank's prior lovers of uh, Zoe and Meacham. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Anybody who is Frank's lover outside of Claire has uh, and Tim also, Mm -hmm. you know, we had we had Tim disappear. Yes. So, um, yeah, that might be the might be the Frank curse. It could be. That's a good good observation. Uh, Do you think Eric is in good shape? Seems solid. Solid enough. Yeah, he seems like he's in fine shape. He's, the actor. He walks around with a kettlebell or a medicine ball. Medicine ball. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So. And Johnny DeSavera wants to know, is Alex Romero the new Frank Underwood of the house who is ultimately going to bring down Frank? Do you think that there is a little bit of a bookends that new, some new upstart Frank Underwood is going to take down the real Frank Underwood? So Frank Underwood is Walker and now we have like the guy that he crosses. I mean, I thought it was interesting that Frank Underwood said, all I wanted was to be Secretary of State. Really, all Romero wanted was to uh, get his Medicare mention, and now uh, now he's plotting against the acting president. Yeah, uh, I I do really like that. I think Romero is uh, is a good long term threat for Frank, and um, I did think it was interesting that Frank mentioned all he wanted was to be Secretary of State, and you know, look what happened to Walker, look what this led to. So um, by denying Romero the one small thing he asked for. Uh, and embarrassing him, he might have might have made a pretty big enemy. But we'll see. You know, we'll see if Frank can outfox him. We'll see. All right, Zach, what's the hashtag today? All right, uh, I wrote down. Uh, I think it was WT Yates. WT Yates, sure. Yeah, <laughs> I think that might be the best one. Um, I also have Pod Yates America. Pod Yates America, sure. I, I don't want to get into any podcast wars uh, over that hashtag uh, or reenacting Meacham. Reenacting <laughs> Meacham. <laughs> We're Eric the actor. Uh, let's go with uh, WT Yates. 
WTA. So I think that's a good okay. one. Uh, good stuff. Find our F before the next one. All right. So here we are at the end of another run. Chapters uh, 59, 60, and 61 are in the books. You and I are going to get back together and discuss chapters 62, 63, and 64 in our next podcast. I think we're on a good pace. I don't think it'll be uh, too many days before we're able to uh, get that one out. And then I was thinking episode 65 will be uh, a standalone podcast for the finale. Will Conway be a standalone podcast? Right. So if you have already gotten to the finale and have sort of like season end questions, you can get those into us uh, ahead of time. So if you have already made it to the finish line, feel free to uh, send those in HOC at postshowrecaps.com. Of course, you could follow Zach Brooks on Twitter. He is at BrooksZA. I'm at Rob Sistrino. Uh, Zach, anything else before we sign off? No, I uh, can't believe that we're moving so quickly Only through four this season. hours Only left. Four- I know it's nuts, but uh, it's it's gonna be fun to see where this finishes, and uh, can't wait to see how they land this plane. Okay, uh, we'll see. Don't let Will Conway uh, behind the stick. That's all I have to say. No, I don't think so. Okay, all right, everybody, have a good one. Take care. Bye. Mm-hmm.